You're here with a mission, sir? I am. Trying to get me back in the world? Trying to save it. You think you're the only superhero in the world? You've become part of a bigger universe. You just don't know it yet. What if I told you we were putting a team together? Who's we? I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. This is now playing's The Avengers Retrospective Series. The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Earth's Mightiest Heroes type thing. Part of the now playing Marvel comic movie series. Well, I guess that's worth a look. Hosted by Arnie. How desperate are you? You call on such lost creatures to defend you. You have made me very desperate. Jacob. Living legend who kind of lives up to the legend. And Stuart. What if I say no? I'll persuade you. What are you prepared to do? At NowPlayingPodcast.com, we will be reviewing all the Avengers movies. Iron Man. I'm just not the, the hero type, clearly. The Incredible Hulk. He was a freak accident. The goal is to do it better. Iron Man 2. Never has a greater Phoenix metaphor been personified in human history. Thor. You're big. Thor bigger. Captain America. How many of you are ready to help me sock old Adolf on the job? And ending with a weekend of release review of The Avengers. I have an army. We have a Hulk. Let me emphasize that what I'm about to share with you is tremendously sensitive both to me personally and the army. This podcast will contain detailed plot spoilers and mild language. Listener discretion is advised. I've always been more curious than cautious. So, are we going to do this? Gentlemen, you're up. Today we're discussing The Avengers, starring Robert Downey Jr., Chris Evans, Mark Ruffalo, Chris Hemsworth, Scarlett Johansson, Jeremy Renner, Tom Hiddleston, Clark Gregg, Kobe Smulders, Stellan Skarsgård, Samuel L. Jackson, Gwyneth Paltrow, Paul Bellany, and Alexis Denisoff. <sighs> Directed by Joss Whedon. This is Arnie, the volatile, self-obsessed co-host of Now Playing, and I'm bringing the podcast to you. Stuart in L.A. like cannot believe that we are here. And this is the host whose brain is a bag full of cats. You could smell crazy on me. This is Jacob. Yes, Stuart. We're here. We have made it. <laughs> Jacob lived. Jacob was worried about not living. <laughs> I had so much anxiety. Like, I was taking the garbage out before I had to leave to go see this film, and I took my keys with me just in case, for some magical reason, the door locked, and I was locked out of my house, and I couldn't get the keys to drive to the theater. That's how paranoid I was. You have watched Final Destination far too many times at this point. You think death is after you before you see Avengers. It's just, it's, we put so much work into this one. So much anxiety to screw it up at the last second. And so much hype, right? I mean, I've been hyped for this movie over a year. I mean, it was over a year ago. I'm like, hey, guys, we need to do this. And actually, it was probably a good two years ago I first brought it up. It took about a year to get Stuart to agree, and then another six months where he's like, fine, Doctor Strange, I don't care anymore. (laughs) It's true. That was a long process. It was two years ago that we had agreed that Avengers was something we would build to. I didn't want to do more than the six movies we've just finished covering. You had ambitions to do the whole universe. Well, we've done it all except Spider-Man, and we're here. 
And I was there at midnight. I went to the midnight show in my town. I don't usually go to midnight movies. I have to say it was primarily the Star Wars prequels that got me out at midnight and nothing else. Even with the Star Wars films, I've never seen an atmosphere like we had at our theater last night. Perhaps it was because of the day-long marathons that they had leading up to it that I toyed with going to. I skipped the marathon, but I got there it was a carnival atmosphere. There was face painting and giveaways <laughs> and cosplaying employees. Okay, Arnie, I have to know. Who were you? Did you go green? Like, what'd you get? I did not get any face paint. What? Marjorie did get a Captain America shield painted on her face. Of course. All right. The irony being the blue ink didn't wash off. And so she had a skin <laughs> star on her face at work the next day. That's cute. Maybe she really likes Rainbow Bright. (laughs) (laughs) Sold out show. Got there an hour and a half early. Had good seats, but I can't believe it. I've never experienced a movie in this kind of environment. There was hooting and hollering in the audience. It did make me feel really, really old. I do think we were among the oldest ones there. It was primarily a college kid crowd. And then I realized it's not that this movie isn't aimed at me. It's that most people my age might be, I guess the term is more responsible about going to work the next day and (laughs) taking care of their children. But I have to say the audience was a little detrimental to the film. I did have to go back and see it again where the audience was more what I was used to, where I could actually hear the dialogue. Yes. Before I even know that people had been there all day for the marathon, I could smell it on them. Literally. (laughs) Oh. Yes. No, it's true. I knew right away just from the sweat stains and whatever. I'm like, you've been here for the whole day. Incredible carnival atmosphere. Even in Been There, Done There, Too Hip for Itself, L.A., people were really jazzed. I saw a lot of t-shirts. No face painting, but I did see a lot of different Marvel represented everything from Thor to Punisher to Fantastic Four even. Somebody had one of them. I don't know if it was for Chris Evans or maybe we actually found the one fan that loves that (laughs) property. I don't know, but they were all there. And it felt weird because I've done a lot of midnight movies at this point. I'm used to trolling in and having 20 to 30 other people kind of hanging out on a date usually, late night date, this was something entirely different here. Big IMAX though. I went all the way. IMAX, midnight show last night. I missed the midnight thing. I like going to bed early. But I did take the day off work so I could go to an early morning show. Still sizable crowd. A lot of people there. Mostly people around our age. I guess a lot of people took off the day work. Not a very productive day in Dallas, I guess. Not sold out, but yeah, good crowd. I did see this in IMAX 3D. Okay. We all saw the 3D version of this. Yes. You know, I don't even know that we need to do a plot summary. We're the last people on Earth to have seen it. You guys notice it's been out in every other country but America for like a month? It seems to be like we are the very last people to see Avengers. Kind of a strange phenomenon that, you know, America is usually at the forefront. It's got Captain America, and America is the last people that can see him. But we got a scene in the movie that nobody else got after the credits, so... (laughs) Yeah, you didn't see the whole movie. There's a good 20 seconds there that you're going to have to pay 20 more dollars or pounds or pesos or whatever to go see. Well, why don't we remind these people what they saw so long ago? Give them a plot. Banished from Asgard, Loki, the adopted frost giant son of King Odin, has a new goal. If he cannot be king of Asgard, he will be ruler of Earth. 
He's made a deal with the alien race, the Chitari. The Chitari will be Loki's army to invade Earth, and in return, Loki will get the Tesseract, giving the Chitari the power needed to rule the galaxy. But the Tesseract is in the possession of S.H.I.E.L.D., the spy agency run by Nick Fury. Seen at the end of Thor, Fury was overseeing Dr. Selvig's research on a way to turn the Tesseract into a source for laser weapons, much like the Red Skull did way back in World War II. Loki invades S.H.I.E.L.D.'s headquarters and uses his spear to take control of Selvig, S.H.I.E.L.D. sharpshooting Archer, Hawkeye, and several others, and escape with the Tesseract. So Fury activates the Avengers Initiative, bringing together Earth's mightiest heroes to get the cube back from the God of Mischief. Iron Man Tony Stark and Captain America Steve Rogers come on board, and so does Dr. Bruce Banner, found by S.H.I.E.L.D. agent Natasha Romanoff, otherwise known as Black Widow, while Bruce was on the run in Calcutta. But Banner is presumably not wanted for his hulking alter ego, but for his knowledge of gamma radiation. The Tesseract emits low levels of gamma radiation, and Fury hopes Banner will be able to trace it that way. But Loki is captured by Captain America and Iron Man while at an opera in Germany. They try to take him back to the S.H.I.E.L.D. helicarrier, but they're ambushed by Thor, sent back to Earth by Odin using dark energies to retrieve his brother. At first, Thor fights both Iron Man and Cap to get Loki, but soon joins their super-secret boy band and Loki is taken captive. Still under Loki's control, Hawkeye leads a breakout for the God of Mischief, in which explosions cause Banner to become Hulk and attack Black Widow before being fought back by Thor. Agent Coulson is killed by Loki. Hawkeye is returned to the good side in the fight, and Loki escapes in the chaos and starts his plan to open a portal that will allow the Chitari to attack New York. The Avengers assemble, and a major battle takes place in which the Hulk smashes lots, everyone gets their action, but they cannot close the portal, so Nick Fury's shadowy S.H.I.E.L.D. bosses order a nuke dropped in Manhattan to stop the invasion. But Selvig, finally released from the mind control, reveals that the little part of him Loki couldn't control built a back door in the S.H.I.E.L.D. around the Tesseract, and Loki's spear can close the portal. But before it closes, Iron Man grabs the in-route nuke and flies it through, where it destroys the Chitari mothership, and having all the Chitari fall over dead as the portal closes. Loki is captured, and he, the Tesseract, and Thor return to Asgard for safekeeping, while the rest of the Avengers return to their own homes, on call if need be, as credits roll. And in mid-credits, we see the mysterious leader of the Chitari, the Titan Thanos, Due to the damage caused by the Earthlings, Thanos is advised that to attack Earth is to court death. And Thanos smiles, seeming to like that idea. And Stuart looks real confused. When aren't you confused with these movies, Stuart? <laughs> it's okay. I've heard in some theaters when Thanos showed up, people yelled, Hellboy! <laughs> But that is the movie that was released. You said we had a long road to get here, Stuart. If we had a long road, director Joss Whedon had an even longer one. There were so many revisions of this script. Believe it or not, what we saw was a pared-down version. His original scripts also included Avenger the Wasp, who is a female who can shrink down and fly and sting people with lasers that come from her hands. He said that he had shot a five-hour movie. This thing's already lengthy, as coming in at two hours and 20 minutes. And I'm sure as we go through it, I'll be able to illuminate through some copious research that I've done in one day, because I did go in spoiler-free, and say the movie that could have been in addition to the movie that was. Yeah, there definitely feels like there's some cutscenes that are going to end up on that Blu-ray. 
and yet I was not missing a magical wasp to shoot lasers. I feel like the house is full. I'm very curious to know what was too big to fit here. But yeah, let's get to the movie. It opens with a voiceover, and this is the Chitari leader who's just credited as the other discussing with a mysterious stranger who we later find out is Thanos the deal they've made with Loki, the villain from Thor. Anybody that wants my stomach to get queasy needs to start with space prologues. Green Lantern, we don't need this. (laughs) It's real short. They did it right. I was real happy. You know, all we get is this has got space aliens. They don't like humans. They want to burn us. Mm, Okay. I don't know who you are, but that's fine. Let's get on. And they do. Yeah, I don't think you get this, Stuart, but there is a long history of this whole cosmos, space gods legacy in the Marvel and DC universe, even with X-Men, which they've never touched. I'm glad it, it, it gets confusing. I mean, there's whole stories that just take place in space. And it was weird opening up here. This felt like, hey, we just saw Thor a couple of weeks ago and we're picking up right where that one ended with Loki drifting off into space. Now we know where he landed, I guess. What's never explained, and it frustrates me, is what he was doing in that reflection of Dr. Zelvig. Because we're like, is he in his control? Is it anything? Well, we actually see Loki take control of Zelvig here, so he wasn't under control. That's just a dangling thread I guess I should ignore. A lot of those post credit scenes are now dangling threads to me. What we see in that opening is, and it's very brief, this mysterious other gives Loki a spear, which is going to become a major plot point. I didn't catch this in my first viewing. I might have just been too excited to be there and trying to take it all in. I just thought the spear was Loki's, but no, this comes from that other. But Jacob, I'm going to have to turn to you already about this other, because I've read online this other has a name, Annihilus. Is that right? This might be fan speculation. All the credits I read, it was the other, the other, Wikipedia, the other, the other. There are some similarities with Annihilus, the similar type of creature that wants to destroy the Earth. He's never led the Chitari. I mean, if they want to make him Annihilus in Avengers 2 or something, do a retcon, it would be easy to do. There's not a whole lot of similarities between the other and Annihilus. And then I have to ask, the Chitari, I know the Kree, I know the Skrulls. What the hell is a Chitari? All right, this, I had to do some digging because you're doing an outer space alien invasion story with Marvel. You think of scrolls. I mean, they go way back to early on with the Fantastic Four, the shape-shifting aliens that could trick you. I mean, long history in the Marvel Universe. Well, the Chitari, that's the ultimate universe version of the scrolls. They get a fancy name now. I guess scrolls wasn't sophisticated enough for this more science-based Ultimates universe. If you know what the scrolls are, in this movie, not a whole lot of similarities between the two. Sounds like I got my reading to catch up on. <laughs> I just took it they were aliens. They're bad. They say human should burn that's all i need to know (laughs) but we immediately get more grounded because we are taken to the shield base and introduced to nick fury and they jump right into the action the tesseract which we saw in captain america making hydra weapons and then we saw at the end of thor being given to dr selvig to research well the research has gone bad And the Tesseract is doing something weird that causes Fury and Maria Hill and Hawkeye and everyone to start going into a panic because it's doing something after not doing anything for a year. So they call it out later in this film. This is taking place about a year after Thor, where we get that post credit scene of Fury 
showing that he has the Tesseract. Now in Captain America, we saw that Tony Stark's father, Howard, picked it up from the ocean floor 70 years previous. So why has it taken the Americans 70 years to figure this thing out? We had Howard Stark working on it. Whereas the Red Skull and Dr. Zola, a couple of super Nazis with Hydra, were able to figure out pretty quickly and make weapons. Like, it shows later on that S.H.I.E.L.D. has those old Hydra weapons. They couldn't reverse engineer them. Like, why has it taken 70 years to do something with this cube? Well, I would argue that they don't want to make weapons, but that's actually the plot of the movie. It's a good point. You can look at it this way, and this is the way I chose to look at it. This is the ground zero for the ARC technology. Everything that Iron Man is doing and building towards, and when we get to where he's at and what he's invented at the start of this movie, it's all the children of this technology. So I do feel like there has been a development throughout the movie, but as to why that hasn't been multi-purposed and also used for weapons of mass destruction, I cannot say. I can. I've read all the prequel comics and tie-in comics and expanded universe materials for this movie. So you're brainwashed. We've talked about in all these podcasts, there's the 616 Marvel Universe, the real one. There's the Ultimate Marvel Universe. They are now printing comics in the movie Marvel Universe that are completely different still, a third reality. Those are the ones I read. Which take place on Earth 199,999, as I learned (laughs) through my research. That's the movie universe designation. And apparently, S.H.I.E.L.D. is just getting underway, even though it had been started way back during Captain America. It kind of went through some dark times during the Cold War, and it really just got kicked back up again not too long before Iron Man and... There's been a disagreement over the way to go. There are these shadowy figures who Fury talks to on monitors who are his bosses, and they want to go one way with it. They want to do the weapons and everything. And then you've got Fury who's thinking, no, the Avengers are more the way to go, but I have bosses I have to answer to, so I'm going to try to do what I want to do and appease them. So it's basically things have just been on ice for a while until started back up and things like the Hulk and when Iron Man showed up. Another question then, maybe the comics answered this. Way back in that first Iron Man film, we get Nick Fury, we're putting together the Avengers initiative. And so I thought they already know something's going on. They already know about some invasion that's making its way. Go to this opening scene with S.H.I.E.L.D., we learn, oh yeah, we tried that Avengers initiative and we put it on ice. That was a big shocker to me. Had they tried to get a team together before? Did they just discuss it and then pushed it to the side? I almost felt like I missed a movie here. It really did feel like we missed, if not a movie, a post credit scene of a movie where they're like, yeah, the Avengers initiative, we're not doing that. Because the last time we really saw the Avengers initiative was Tony Stark was going to be a consultant, right? And now they're saying we've put it on ice. The comics tell me, again, the directors don't like the idea of these rogue freaks being in charge. So they iced the program, choosing spies and Tesseract weapons instead. And it's Fury who's been championing the whole time. So it's bureaucracy, basically. And that comes through in the movie, too. I haven't read a comic. I'm not going to. But I definitely see that as one of the many clashes in the movie. The Council and Fury. How is the best way to handle protection from invaders from outer space? And almost instantly, what the Tesseract was doing was opening a doorway, which Selvig doesn't figure this out. None of the S.H.I.E.L.D. scientists figure it out. Hawkeye, the bow and arrow shooter who we had a cameo of in Thor, is like, 
thing's a doorway, right? Doors open on the other side. I was glad he said that. It helped me understand what was going on. But it also made me ask, what is the Tesseract then? I thought that it was an unlimited power supply. I thought it was a battery, that kind of thing. But it is also a portal? Is it a floor and a dessert topping? I mean, does it just do everything? This is really the Cosmic Cube, which does do everything. It will grant you any wish that you want. Here, I think they toned it down to where it's an energy source, and I guess you manipulate that source to open doors. I'm wondering, is this what power the Bifrost Bridge and Thor? Because that's why he hasn't been able to travel around, because they haven't had this portal, a way to open up these portals. And we see them use it later on to go back to Asgard. Regardless, I just kind of took it as Stargate. You know, door opens up, magical being comes out, out pops Loki. Tom Hiddleston. I was happy to see him, and I was surprised how happy I was to see him right away. I'm glad we get just right into it. In like three minutes in the movie, here's our bad guy, and... I really liked his performance in Thor, even if I didn't think he was evil enough. He comes out, and I really thought I'd be looking at Sam Jackson in the scene. I'm looking at Tom Hiddleston. Look, Loki was terrible in Thor. I don't care what anybody says. He was a lame villain. They have fixed the problem. I would say that this is one of the things that Joss Whedon really has done with this whole Avengers franchise. Some of the weakest links in the five films we have watched are now some of the greatest strengths of this Avengers movie. And Loki is the first that I've seen. Vast improvement here. Same actor, totally different emphasis. When he's taking out guards, I believe it. He is scary. He is imposing. He has a physical threatening quality he never did. I think he's been rewritten. I mean, as we find out later, he makes a lot of calls to wanting to be king. That isn't the way that Thor played it. I'm glad they rewrote it. I'm glad that we understand it to be that he's power hungry now. Yeah, one of my complaints with Thor is the last match, Thor versus Loki, uh, Loki wasn't imposing. He didn't seem like a threat. Later on, we'll get a Thor versus Loki match, and it's intense. Like, this Loki, I don't know if he's been lifting the weights or what he's been doing, but much scarier, a much more threatening villain. He fell off that bridge, and it's presumed that where he landed was where this Chitari is, that the Chitari are the ones that saved him. Do they have control over him? Are they manipulating him? Or have they just made a pact and think he's their guy to make a foray into Earth? It's said in that prologue, Loki knows Earth far better than the Chitari. The Chitari think the Earthlings are just too meddlesome to bother with. They're too unruly. They want to deal with their part of the galaxy. So... Remember in Superman 2 where Lex Luthor's like, Zod, you can have the rest of the world, just give me Australia? I kind of feel that's the deal being made here between Loki and the Chitari is Loki gets Earth, the Chitari get the rest. That's funny because that's the exact reference that I wrote down. I kind of wish all this space stuff was left for a mystery later on in the film. that They didn't give that away. Just have Loki show up, have him be a badass, and let's figure out the plot as it goes on. I wish they would have gone that route. I think that that would be better for people that are in the know because it creates more mystery. For people that have just walked in and maybe missed three of the last Marvel movies and don't really know, they didn't see Thor, we need to understand where everything is coming from. It's a decision made entirely to help the novice. We didn't need to know that if space aliens, we can find that out later. We just want to see that Loki's back and in charge. Those that don't know Loki, it's helpful to know that he's in the service of these space aliens. But I took it differently. I didn't catch everything that was being said in that prologue. Like I said, it's very quick. I thought because he has a scepter that changes people to the dark side, I thought maybe they had done that to him too. 
that he was a bad figure, but such a pleasing good guy in the Thor movie. You know, he wanted to make Anthony Hopkins happy to see him now reject that world and want to be king and do all of the things he claimed not to be interested in. I thought they had done a mind screw on him. They definitely did a rewrite on him. (laughs) Yeah, they did. This whole movie, there will be times where I think a couple throwaway lines would have really helped the verisimilitude of the cinematic universe that they've built. And here, just a couple little things, maybe an extra line in the prologue of Loki now is power hungry because he specifically wants revenge for what happened at the end of Thor. I thought they called that out later on in the film. They do kind of call it out a little later. But as like Stuart said, he didn't really want to rule Asgard. He wanted Odin's approval, not his throne. This is a very different Loki, and my complaint with Loki in that Thor film was that I don't think the writers knew if they wanted to make him a sympathetic, fallen hero or if he was really supposed to be a bad guy. He wasn't well written here. They just write him straight up as a bad guy, and I like that. If you're going to group all these superheroes, let's have a bad, bad guy. And so I'm glad they changed Loki here. I like that. The one thing I'd change in this opening scene is if we saw Selvig under his control in that last scene of Thor, and again in the comic books, why not have Selvig be the one who opens the door, and he's under the control from the get-go, and then we see Loki take control of Hawkeye and many others. I never took it that Selvig was under Loki's control. Loki can make duplicates of himself, and I don't quite understand his power, but I always thought that that was him in disguise. I didn't think that the transformation had happened yet. We see it happen. You gotta have a scepter, and he's gotta touch you with it. And once he does, your eyes turn black and then blue. Straight out of Buffy, I mean, you mentioned Joss Whedon. Stuart, as you mentioned in our Alien Resurrection podcast out this Friday, but we've recorded it already. This is your crash course in Whedonism and the black eyes. I know you didn't watch Buffy, Stuart. I don't know if you did, Jacob. That's straight out of Buffy when Willow was the evil witch and we get the black eyes and same effect. It seems like a Hollywood convention. Once you go evil, you get black eyes. Yeah, I'm not crediting Wheaton with this. I turned evil, something screwy with my eyes. Maybe they're red eyes, maybe they're black eyes, maybe they're blue eyes, but eyes are the window to the soul. If something's screwed up with your eyes, something's screwed up with your soul. Well, something's screwed up with that base because it starts to implode, and I had no clue why my first watching. And I'm thinking to myself, God dang it, we're recording tomorrow night. Do I have to go buy the junior novelization to explain (laughs) to me why this is happening? As if you wouldn't anyway. Not junior novels, no. Over at Marvelicious Toys, I only reviewed the adult stuff. But it is said, I hate that it's just said in this throwaway line, oh, the portal's going critical. This whole place is going to implode. Loki did it. I don't get any of that, but now we're escaping like it's Independence Day. But Loki did not do it because Fury is actually trying to keep them there until it collapses. His plan is to go down with the ship, and therefore no one will have the Tesseract. And it's Hawkeye, once he's under the command of Loki, that figures it out. This Hawkeye guy is pretty smart for a bow and arrow dude. I mean, he figures out that the Tesseract's going to open this door. But yeah, I guess Loki caused it because he made the door open, but it's unstable. So it's going to make the place collapse. But Fury knows that too. Fury was trying to trick him into standing there until the building fell on him because of this portal. I like how Fury's just trying to sneak out the back with the whole thing. While people are dying and falling down and getting converted, he's just like whistling and putting the cube in the suitcase and being like, I'm out of (laughs) here. He almost gets away with it. It's kind of a funny creeping out the back door moment but you know what another improvement for avengers hawkeye made no impression on me 
good or bad in Thor. I didn't know whether he was good at his job. You only saw him for a second and a half. Yeah, it was really sort of a non-reason, but I now see the point of having it. Not for Thor, but for this movie, we needed to know that he was always in the background. And here, I like him. Ooh, at this point, I had no feeling about him one way or the other. By the end of this movie, though... I gotta say, I don't really know Jeremy Renner from much. I don't remember him from the movies I've seen him in, like The Net and 28 Weeks Later. But if he acts in other movies like he acts in this, I don't want to see the newborn film. I'm not a fan. I know him from The Hurt Locker, and he's great in that. I think he's trying to channel a lot of that whole soldier mentality. Every preview I saw, he was with the Avengers. So it was a shock to me, at least, that he was turned bad so quickly. And not at this moment, but throughout the film, he does grow on me. Like, this is the Avenger we've seen the least. And they actually flesh this character out pretty well. Like, they actually give him stuff to do. They give everybody something to do, and I didn't think I cared whether he was in this movie or not. It would be like, eh, if you're cutting characters, why not throw this one on the pile? Turning him evil gives him a point, and seeing how he handles his bow and arrow, I believe he's a threat. I believe that Loki's made the right choice. I'm still not convinced that Sam Jackson could do more than talk badass, but this guy, I believe, could kill you. And speaking of talking badass, the other thing Sam Jackson's trying to sneak out with, he's trying to get the Tesseract, but he also tells newbie to the film, because we didn't have enough characters coming in we got to bring kobe smulders as agent maria hill and he's like get phase two out this is a reference to those weapons that we don't find out until halfway through the movie they're making right the tesseract is being studied primarily because they're going to be turned into weapons of mass destruction and he's concerned about getting them out even though ultimately we'll find out this is his boss's doing he's not so prone to having a weapon solution. He wants a people solution. But yes, he is thinking about protecting these weapons at all costs as people are being evacuated. I like what they set up here early and that there is this endless series of almost Russian doll chain of command. Every time you meet somebody that you think is in control, you find out they have a boss. Even Nick Fury, who I thought was the boss of all of these Avengers, well, he's a little fish when it comes to this council. He ultimately has to answer to big heads on TV sets and do their bidding and get into squabbles. And even though Loki is our big villain here, he has the answers to aliens floating around in space. I like the idea of this endless bureaucracy, and I feel like it makes the world feel very, very big indeed. We never seen the man behind the curtain. We don't know who's in control. This does set off a chain of events as Fury basically gets the Avengers to scramble. We get the return of Clark Gregg as Agent Coulson, and we get Black Widow back, Scarlett Johansson, who I did not like in Iron Man 2. Did any of us like her? I did. Okay. I used the word credible. I thought she was credible, but I didn't think she was very well developed. Well, here, like Hawkeye, she's got more to do. I don't know a lot about Joss Whedon. When people say brown coats, I have no idea what they're talking about. Never watched a single episode or the Buffy film. I've read some of his comics. I've seen Cabin in the Woods, but female dialogue and female characters, is that something he's known for doing? Because I really like Black Widow in this film. They do something great with her, finally. This character I hated in Iron Man 2, she's one of my favorite characters, and not just because it's Scarlett Johansson. And in really sexy tight leather. <laughs> I agree with you, Jacob. Now, I'm a Whedonite. Not as big as some, but I have seen every episode of Buffy, 
every episode of Angel. And for our Alien Resurrection podcast, I went and watched all of Serenity and Firefly. The only thing I think he's done that I couldn't stick with was Dollhouse, that TV series. But yeah, he's all about the kick-ass woman. Buffy is, of course, the epitome of this, but everything he does, Serenity, there's always like this ninja girl who just kicks ass. He's all about the strong female characters and about quippy, snarky dialogue. We get both here. Joss has long been tapped as the perfect person to finally bring Wonder Woman to screen. There have been several attempts for him to do so. Never panned out. Wonder Woman is cursed, I guess. And here, he wanted some strong females. That's why he originally wrote in the Wasp. And instead, because of how the universe had been, it became Black Widow. And we see her being interrogated. And I do like her character here. We are setting up in this very first scene, which could just be in other movies, a where are our characters now? But here you're showing us her skill set that will be used in the future. She's not just a spy who can kick ass and shoot well. She is an interrogator who can, instead of waterboarding, use deception and her looks and everything else to get information from a captive. She's the one tied up, but she, we find out very quickly, is actually the one doing the interrogation. When Coulson calls and says, we need you, she's like, this idiot's giving me everything. And the Russian's like, I'm giving you what? She's smart. She's good. And then she starts flipping around while tied up on this chair. That was one of the few things I liked about her was that ending scene in Iron Man 2 where her or her stunt double did a lot of great fighting. Again, her in this little black dress, bound to a chair, flipping around, beating up these Russian mobsters. Great introduction for this character. Yeah, Jacob, I did like the chair scene, even if I've seen it before. Drew Barrymore did it first in Charlie's Angels, but... Loved it here, too. All it needed is Scarlet going, and that's kicking your ass and moonwalking out. I'm glad that did happen. Yes. It is specifically because she is a woman that she uses it to her advantage to have the upper hand. Everyone thinks that she is in a position of subservience, and that's exactly where she wants them. Whenever you have people and you think you have them under your control, you're prone to talk. She knows that. And she did it in Iron Man, too. You know, she was a secretary. She replaced Pepper Potts. We're just supposed to think that, oh, this is a subordinate, his girl Friday kind of girl. No, she was keeping tabs on Stark even then. And here she is doing it again. It's a nice character trait. It makes us really like her. And it makes her feel one of the boys. I mean, up to this point, all the Marvel movies in this series have been built around the boys. Here, she's staking her claim. She's one of them. She never had her own movie But maybe that's coming. She definitely can hold her own. Well, and they send her in to get the scariest character of the Avengers. Like, that's how much they trust her. And it says so much about her character that they send her to go bring in the Hulk. Yes, the Hulk. Hulk 3 or 2 for this universe. But Mark Ruffalo taking over for Ed Norton. And I wasn't sure how I felt about Ruffalo coming in. You know, he's kind of doughy. He was intentionally told not to work out. He said he felt really weird on the set because everybody's ripped around him. And they're like, no, you don't work out. That's not who you are. And I just wasn't sure from the trailers how I would feel about him. I really like him, though, from the get-go. He's this kind of nervous, jittery persona that I have to say, I think he made have even outclassed Bill Bixby as my favorite Bruce Banner, David Banner. To which I'm going to say, 
Told you so. I knew he was going to kill in this role. I knew it. Mark Ruffalo is an awesome actor. I knew he was the secret weapon, both his character and him as an actor. He's underestimated because he has this casual quality. He's an excellent actor. He steals the scene. I'm going to go ahead and say it. I haven't recommended one Hulk movie up to this point. But as a Hulk movie, this is the best we've gotten so far. He rules in Avengers. I don't know who this guy is. This opening scene, I don't know. There's something about the way he delivered his dialogue. You, you guys talk about his physicality, and he looks kind of doughy and nervous. Like, I got all that body language, and I like that. I thought he pulled off the body language of being reserved and backed away and doesn't want to be pushed. I got that really well. It was something about the way he delivered his lines in this confrontation with Black Widow that wasn't winning me over. As we go along, I think he gets better in the role, but I liked the body language right away. I'm right there with you, Jacob. thought the exact same thing. I'm going to say this right now. The first time I saw this movie, the first 30 minutes to 45 minutes, I was thinking, "Uh uh-oh, things are going wrong. Things aren't panning out. Things are just happening. They're checking off the boxes. And Ruffalo, I'm not quite sure. His delivery is different. And I don't know how else to describe it. It's just a counterintuitive way to deliver every line. That's him. That's Mark Ruffalo all over. I feel almost every performance, except the one we reviewed in Shutter Island, that's exactly what he does. He gives you the reading you weren't expecting. It's one of his great strengths. But let me tell you, watching this movie a couple more times... This whole beginning, including Ruffalo's performance, makes a lot more sense, and I go with it a lot more. What I get, his delivery here is weird, because first of all, he's a character, he hasn't had a Hulk out in a year, he's finding himself in a situation that's potentially dangerous, not to him, he knows nothing can hurt him. But he does think they're here to kill him. Yeah, to try to kill him. He knows it won't work, too. Yes. But... I get that his delivery and all of this, he's testing Widow, which is, again, what I love about this whole cast. This is a cast of strong characters. You see Widow in that last scene kicking some ass. You come here, you know that as the Hulk, Bruce Banner's gonna take anything out. But as Banner, I've never really been impressed by that character before outside of the TV series. But here, he's going toe-to-toe with Widow and testing her and trying to get information out of her, saying, oh, you came alone. The way he screams at her just to see what the reaction will be if he does. And she pulls the gun and the team assaulting him reveals themselves. All of that, it works so well. It is just a great scene. But I'll say the first time, I didn't get what he was doing. They fixed Hulk, people. They fixed Hulk. A lot of the things they're going to do later, we're going to talk about it. Everything that they've done, all the problems that I've had about Hulk, solved. You won't hear me complain once. Not to go back to Black Widow, but I was so impressed with her in this film when Banner screams at her and she pulls that gun from under the table. She knows she's screwed if he hulks out right there. Like, you could see on her face. I love that. Like, here's this tough person. We just saw her take out three Russians while she was tied up. And now she's facing down this, like, doughy scientist, and she's scared. She knows what she's up against. I like those little details in this film. And I got to credit both Joss Whedon for the way he directed this and the way he works with actors, but also the original casting director who cast Scarlett Johansson. I mean... We all said in Iron Man 2, she doesn't really come off as the wire-foo kind of person, but by casting a good actress and not just a tough girl, we're able to get this, and she learned the wire work, and yet she gives this subtle performance. She's great, and so is Ruffalo. The scene is just 
really working for me. But you knew she was scared because <laughs> I like it when Coulson's saying, you got to go get the big guy. She's like, Stark doesn't trust me. No, the big guy. <laughs> she just has that look on her face like, ah, oh, shit. That's exactly right. They are building this up. He is the last character to appear. The Hulk, it is. Banner's here early. But the Hulk is the last one to materialize, and it is the exact buildup we want. You know, it's how I think of him. It is hard to think of him as being a good team player, and so you want to make him seem as chaos. Anything could happen if he were to go off. And they don't want the Hulk, though, do they? They want Banner. They want the scientists because they find out that the Tesseract gives off gamma radiation. Conveniently, yes. <laughs> I'm going to say they want the Hulk. First, there's the scene where Tony Stark comes in and says, we're putting a team together. Given that it's not abomination, I'm thinking they want the Hulk. Second of all, the gamma radiation never does anything. Sure, they give him something to work on, but Bruce Banner does nothing in this film. Hulk is what the team needed in this film. You know, it, later on in the movie, when Loki says, we have an army, the response isn't, we have Bruce Banner. No, everyone is playing poker. No one is showing their cards. Everyone is playing a game, and they're not letting anyone else what the game is. They have a poker face. They give you the impression of one thing. They are plotting another. They are paying lip service to the idea that they want Banner because they can track this device from its gamma radiation. But I totally agree with you. They built the cage. They want the green guy. Well, he also figures out what Loki's plan is, just no one listens to him. <laughs> and I like that we don't get a whole lot of backstory of what he's been doing in the time we don't need it, but I like that he's there helping people. He's being a doctor. It endears us to him immediately to like him as a person, to know he's helping sick people for very little money and on the run. Yeah, it reminds you of where we found Banner at the end of the Ang Lee and at the beginning of the official Ed Norton. He is a do-gooder. That's what he's always been about. And speaking of do-gooders, Cap's back. The scene we saw in the end of Cap. Yeah. Punching the punching back. Yeah, that wasn't a post credit scene, was it? That was just footage they had from the Avengers. Yeah. Well, they did that at the end of Iron Man 2 with Thor. But you know what? I'm getting something out of Cap that I have not before. And it's really impressive. Cap's grown a little cynical here. He's been reading WikiLeaks. Yeah, I agree. You get it in one line. He says... Something to the effect of what we've lost when we won World War II. He sees things as not being great right now. And I guess he may have been looking at our military history after World War II as further proof of that. But he doesn't want to be a part of this. My presumption is he's in captivity. I mean, they don't really say. He's boxing. And yeah, Nick Fury drops by. But he doesn't want to put on the Stars and Stripes again. He doesn't really want to work for them. Well, he is not in captivity. Most of the cutscenes actually involve Cap. For Joss Whedon, Cap was his way in. Initially, they were all saying Iron Man's the way in, Iron Man's the biggest box office, Iron Man's the star. But for Joss, Captain America is the newbie to this time. Captain America was his in. Remember how I said that they needed the scene where he goes and visits his old girlfriend and she's an old lady? Yeah. They actually had that in the script, and I believe they shot it. And it ended up being cut because there's just too much cap material. A lot of cap was cut. But yeah, he was still trying to come to terms with where he is in time. And they said, we got to save this material for Cap's solo film. It's coming just two years from now. Let's save some of that stuff and focus on the team. So 
he wasn't in captivity. This was all his choice. And Nick had to kind of give a sales pitch as to why he should team up. I mean, that's kind of what this is. It's not like anybody's recruited. They all have to be convinced. Yeah. Well, that's what's weird with Captain America here, because I was really wondering how are they going to do that man out of time story? And then in, in the comics, they, they always put that in. It's always part of this arc of the Avengers. Captain America comes back and sees the world as it's become. But what's weird is you do get the cynical take on him early on. You know, they talk about him suiting up and he's like, isn't that a little old fashioned? Isn't that outdated to wear the stars and stripes? But later on, he's going to be the one defending shield stance on certain things so i get an uneven characterization with them well i think it comes because i really think it's colson we find out that colson is a closet captain america geek that all this time keep in mind he is the first avenger he is the one that everyone else knows about and loves and no one loves him more than colson he's got the trading cards so colson is the one that designs the new suit for him and i think that it's that enthusiasm that keeps captain sort of in the game. That and the fact that he gets to return to the country that he was battling in in the last movie and take care of what he perceives as a new Hitler. I think those are the things that allows him to be the star-spangled man again. Can we talk about this suit? Because I love the Captain America suit of the 40s. I love that look. It was military-looking, but still true to the red, white, and blue star-spangled character. Coulson says he redesigned this, and it looks like it. They should have got someone that was in the fashion industry. I think the <laughs> suit looks bad. There have been a lot of fan backlash on Cap's suit here. Honestly, it doesn't bother me that much. It really doesn't. I do think that at times he should have changed into some civvies because he wears the suit and nothing but the suit after he puts it on. Well, Tony Stark's wearing the same Black Sabbath shirt for this entire movie, if you didn't notice. The movie takes place in a very short amount of time, but when he's not in combat, he's not wearing the Iron Man suit. I just, I don't have a problem with it. By the end of the movie, I never even thought about it. I think here... Evans just is so Captain America, and he does it so well here. He's even better here than he was in Cap, and he was great in Cap. Oh, yeah. I like that they still kept this character true to 1940s America. When we get some god showing up later on, he says, there's only one god, and he doesn't dress like... Like, they're calling out, like, Christianity. Like, America believes in the judeo-christian god and like this captain america still backs that up like i like he's got that cynical side but he's still very 1940s unlike any other character in this cast when he's funny he's funny not on purpose he is still straight arrow guy he's not making jokes he's not a wise ass i really appreciate that because this cast is full of snarky clowns not this guy they kept him the way that i think of him more cynical yes still battling perceptions about what's happened in the world, what's happened to his country after World War II. But he is still that character. I'm really appreciative. He is my entry point character as well. I think that I'm always looking to Cap for how to respond to any given situation. Yeah, I do love that Like, there's a reference to Stephen Hawking. Cap doesn't get it. Then there's a reference to the Wizard of Oz. He's like, I get that one! That yes. was like one of my biggest yeah. laughs of the movie. <laughs> you and everyone, that the audience just roared on that. They roared on a lot. I would like to have medicated the audience, but they really <laughs> roared on that. But 
we finally get. They tease us almost a half an hour before getting to the person who it was going to be Iron Man and the Avengers. You know, he was going to be the Jim Morrison of the Avengers and the person everyone was coming to see. Initially, this was going to be Iron Man 3 with some guest stars. Instead, we go a half an hour before Robert Downey Jr. shows up on screen. Yeah, I was surprised because even I said, hey, if this is a halfway decent Iron Man 3 film with you know, the Hulk showing up for a couple of minutes, I'll be happy. But they put him off. They waited a while till they brought him in here. Well, I've already said that some of the best things about Avengers is the way that they have found new things to do with underutilized and unimpressive characters from the past. I'm going to put the reverse criticism on here. My very favorite character, the one that I would see in any movie, I feel like he doesn't play well with a team. I do feel like Robert Downey Jr., in order to fit into this movie, is a little bit tamped down. This is my least favorite Iron Man performance. Iron Man's not a character. Tony Stark is not a character that would play well with others. I liked how well-balanced thus far these characters have been. We've been introducing them. No one's taking the spotlight. This isn't a Hulk movie or a Black Widow movie or an Iron Man movie with some other characters peppered in the background. I felt so far this is pretty well-balanced and I think we're just used to Tony Stark, Robert Downey Jr. getting all the good lines, being in front of the camera the whole time and this is an Avengers film now. It's not an Iron Man film. No, it's the right decision to do for this movie, but it is disappointing for me as an Iron Man fan. I don't know that this is my least favorite Iron Man performance. I mean, he was fun in Iron Man 2, but that movie itself, even though I recommended it, it was kind of a mess, a fun mess, but a mess. He's the only reason I did recommend it. Here, I like Tony Stark in the scenes once he gets on board that helicarrier and everything. You don't like the rom-com? Here in this opening scene, it feels all so neutered, and I'm scared for Iron Man 3 if this is what Tony Stark's like in a relationship. I mean, there were some funny lines about how they just built this Stark Tower, which not only does it give Tony a reason to be in New York, it also becomes a major plot point, because that's where Loki builds his laser later, but saying Pepper did it, well, she did 12%, and they're making funny jokes about 12%. That That's my least favorite Tony Stark, but once he gets with the Avengers, Robert Downey Jr. steals the show. I love him when he's calling, I mean, come on, calling Thor point break. It's obscure, but perfect. That is... The fact he's like, that guy's playing Galaga. You know that was an ad lib, and they later went and filmed somebody and blue screened in some Galaga later on. The scene that we got at the end of the film that the foreign audiences didn't get, you know that was filmed because of a Robert Downey ad lib. I love him in here. When we get to some of the action scenes, my feeling is Iron Man was too powerful, so they had to kind of throw him off to do big things, and the other characters did lesser powerful things every time, but... When he's in Stark mode, I'm happy every time he's on here. Well, I feel like Downey was working at half power. Maybe the lines are good. I wasn't laughing the same way. I didn't feel the same lightness. It felt a little forced, quite frankly. I know people were laughing big. They were laughing big about everything. I didn't think he was the funniest thing about this movie. I know that he was trying to be. I feel like he is, surprisingly, the weak link. I think if you look at... 
Tony Stark's character arc in this film. And it really came out in Iron Man 2. That is his story, is that he has to learn to play with others, that he has to learn to take orders. And really, it's Captain America that's leading this team by the end. The way that he learns it is really through Coulson. You know, it's introduced in this opening scene. Here comes Phil. We never knew he had a first name. But Agent Phil Coulson is knocking on the door to bring Tony on board with the project. And Pepper knows all about his personal life and who he is and wants to chat him up. And Stark realizes that he's never thought of the guy as a person. It's the beginning of him thinking about how selfish he is and how he wants to be the star. I agree. That is his character arc in this movie. I feel like, I don't know, maybe I'm being selfish, but I want Iron Man all to myself. I don't want to see him be a part of the Avengers. I want him on his own. You want Iron Man 3. I do. Well, we'll get that next year, but let me tell you something that I really feel that was lacking here. And it never hit me until Downey showed up. Tony Stark is a rock star, right? I mean, he gets the girls, he always shows up, he makes grand entrances. He's always playing ACDC. Admittedly, he's always playing ACDC, even though he wears Black Sabbath shirts and he's named himself after Black Sabbath. And if you watch Iron Man 1 and 2... The score of that reflects it. Those scores are all electric guitars, and it's basically a rock score. Here, you get Alan Silvestri, and he did the Cap score, too. Honestly, I looked him up, because this guy is at best serviceable. No! In these movies, he is serviceable, because the score never pulls me out, but I would never go and look it up. There have been three movies that he's done that I love the music from, and that's Forrest Gump... Back to the Future, and Predator. But every other movie he's ever scored, I can't remember the score to. And here, by just giving us a standard run-of-the-mill, could-have-been-done-by-anybody score, it robs Downey of that rock star feel. And the only time he gets it back is, yes, later on when Iron Man first shows up in the armor, he's playing ACDC out of his armor. He's like, hey, Silvestri, I need some rock music here. I'll play it myself because that's what Tony does. Yeah, this score, it's a welcome moment when this ACDC comes blaring in. You know, I've said it in a lot of these Marvel films that I like the attitude. I want the attitude of the film to fit the character, and I thought they did that well with Iron Man with all the heavy metal that they had in those films it was a nice change of pace because this was it sounded like an average score to me throughout score is so important to set the mood of a film and to help underscore what you should be feeling and this score actually takes away from Iron Man and makes you just not feel it as much so i think it may be a subconscious thing but i'm thinking that may be what you're thinking well i definitely am not conscious of it i didn't really pay attention to the score i thought it was fine it worked for me because i didn't notice it but i did notice that i wasn't feeling the iron man love that i've had in the past and yeah jacob you said it's a rom-com we get gwyneth paltrow looking really good in some shorts but man when i heard she was going to be in this movie i for some reason thought she'd be part of this movie (laughs) That isn't the case. We're reaffirmed that she's the better half, that she's the social one, that she's the one that remembers things. It was her job up until a point. She was secretary. Now she's boss. It's not like I dislike it. I was very excited at Iron Man 2 that they got together. I think it could be a good thing. I think it was something they had to shove in here. All the love stories kind of get shoved in here, but mercifully, they're not the focus of this movie. It couldn't possibly be. We don't know if Cap's love is alive. We don't know what these guys are like because, yeah, 
yeah, she recognizes he needs to go be an Avenger. She's going to DC. It's really here only to remind us that he does have this extended life that we saw blooming in Iron Man 2. And it's just enough of a taste to make me not want to see Iron Man 3. (laughs) Bullshit. I just don't like what they're doing here. Bullshit. Nothing could make you not want to see Iron Man 3. I just hope they don't do this in Iron Man 3. I hope this few minutes in Stark Tower isn't indicative of what I'm going to get two hours of next year. No, I think they put this in to establish where these characters are and it moves on. I don't know. I'm not going to get hung up on it. No, definitely not going to get hung up on it. And that's it for the team. I mean, it's said that they don't know where Thor is. They don't know how to get to him. I last saw him stuck up there with the bouncer looking at the broken bridge, trying to get down. I don't know how he's going to get back into this. These are the people that they have to go to headquarters when we get to S.H.I.E.L.D.'s awesome Flying City. Again, I'm reminded of Hasselhoff. And (laughs) it's wonderful that I was able to see something so horrible now get done so well. There is a Flying City. Yeah, there's the helicarrier and a reference to life model decoys. Yes. Neither of which I would have gotten if we hadn't watched Hasselhoff earlier this year. Oh, come on. The helicarriers, it was a joy to finally see one of those on the big screen where we have the technology where it's not like the Nick Fury movie that we reviewed. It was a geek moment. It's always nice when you see these pages come onto the screen and when you're drawing stuff, you can draw whatever you can imagine. And that's why I think comics a lot of time they're so far ahead with just the kind of stories they tell. They're so big and grand and now Hollywood's finally catching up to that. And it was just a great moment where they think it's going to submerge. You get that great line from Banner. You know, it's a bad idea put me in a submerged tank and then it flies up into the air and i'm loving the rapport between him and cap too it comes off very natural how cap's like oh this is just what i'm used to and it would be an army base and then it takes off and then he, the way he just hands fury the 10 bucks because yeah. he's bet 10 dollars that there's nothing fury could show him he wouldn't believe he just wordlessly hands the 10 dollars it's a great moment especially since in world war ii money that's like 100 bucks <laughs> I don't know that we needed to start here on the water. They never really do anything on the water. I almost feel like it's a way of showing a battleship, one of its competitors this summer, of just being like, (laughs) oh, we can do a transforming robot ship, too. We can do all of that, and we got the superheroes. I think it's a way of throwing in their face that they're going to be the summer movie to beat. Why can it cloak? That never came up in the plot anywhere. That's not a cut scene where that cloaking device actually comes into play at some point. Not that I could find anything of. Yeah, they turn it on and I was taking it as this is why we can fly above New York and nobody's freaking the hell out that there's battleships flying above New York. But it never comes into play at all. Loki's able to launch an attack led by Hawkeye on it later on. Well, Hawkeye's probably bid on it. I don't know. I took it as there's secret government agency. Of course they could cloak it. Yeah, you'd have to cloak it. It's too freaky to think that there's this giant city flying around the world and no one's noticed. We've also gotten this scene in here where Loki goes into meditation and he goes back into space and has this consultation about what he's got to do. I felt a little confused by all of this. This is, again, support I would use to say they're in his mind. They're controlling his thoughts. This is not how Loki should be. I would say they're controlling him, but it's not mind control. At this point, you get... There are threats. If he doesn't live up to his end of the bargain, they will mess him up. And he is afraid of them. I do think at times he may press on when he wouldn't have on his own out of fear of the Chathari and this other. You know, we see this in Thor when he visits 
Thor in jail. Loki's able to walk in. No one else, I guess, could see him. We see that at the end, the post-credits scene. I never understood why how that works with him. But yeah, you do get the sense that as much of a badass as he thinks he is, there's someone else behind the curtain. But hey, he can extract eyeballs. I love this scene. Loki goes to a German opera, and they point out, S.H.I.E.L.D., they've stolen from Dark Knight and have tapped into every cell phone everywhere to see everything to find Loki. Yeah, every wireless camera. I got a little piece of black tape over the camera that's built into my laptop right now, just in case they're looking. Now, I know that Hawkeye knows why they're targeting this guy. He says, ah, the Tesseract showed me. Can you explain why they need to break into his lab? They're using his eye as a retinal scan so they can get into this facility. It took me two watchings also. Don't feel bad. Yeah, there's the magic mineral (laughs) that will stabilize the portal and keep it open so it doesn't collapse like it did at the beginning of the film. They have to steal some meteorite that came from space. Is it a meteorite? I thought they said uranium. No, it's some other anium, and they said it came on a meteorite, I believe. Uh Uh-oh. Is this tying into Wolverine? (laughs) (laughs) But what they need this guy's eyeball to do is open a vault. So Loki goes to the opera alone. And this is actually a really cool conceit. I love the gadgetry. Whedon's always big on coming up with some of these things. You don't actually need the eyeball physically at the scanner. No, we'll just pluck out the eyeball and put it in like a hologram projector and have the eyeball appear before the retina scanner. I gotta say, I love a lot of the technology they show in here like this. In the Iron Man films, we've seen those iPads many times, but like when Coulson comes in and gives Tony the briefing, it looks like he hands him a portfolio and then Tony like slips it in half and then sticks it back together and it's like this laptop. They did a lot of creative things with the technology, even though we've seen two movies, they keep taking it a little bit further. I agree. I didn't know why they were doing this, but if it meant that we got this cool little eyeball thing, fine, let's do it. Cool. And I'm liking Hawkeye as an action star. I'm liking what he can do with those arrows in the scene, that he can yeah, fire him in this thing. But you know what I just hate? I just freaking hate. Every time he pulls out that bow and he's ready for action, he does this flex move and the bow extends. <laughs> it's vamping. I feel like he's almost voguing with a bow. I'm like, dude, you think you're badass and you... You're looking kind of silly. Yeah, it's the move you do at the end, at the climax, to show you're a badass. If you do it throughout the entire film, you look like a jackass. Yeah, exactly. He convinced me. I thought he was cool, guys. I really thought it was a character I wasn't going to think about who ended up being a formidable foe, if not necessarily a member of the team. But, yeah, I liked him. Now, we've seen Loki be a badass, and given the fact that he's a god, I really wondered if anyone could take him down. Well, he is maybe immortal. He's not invulnerable. He can be hurt. Yeah, you know, it's kind of like Wolverine. You could keep inflicting pain on him. He might heal eventually, but he keep hurting the guy so he can't fight back as much as he would like to. I'm starting to think of these people not as gods, but space aliens. Which is how you should think of them. Yes, this Avengers thing really is reshaping it. We call them gods because they were gods to people in a certain part of this world at a certain time. But that was always wrong. They are space aliens. And yeah, I've seen people fight space aliens in all different kinds of ways. So it doesn't feel like they're outmatched. But I do worry about Cap because his only power is the shield. He can protect himself, but it doesn't feel like a good weapon. I don't know. I feel like he's the one that could probably get his ass beat. I'm not worried for Tony in that suit. And in fact, that's how it plays. Cap starts it off 
and Loki's ready to take him out. It's when Iron Man shows up, ACDC blaring, that Loki's taken down in pretty much one punch, but it's alluded to later on. This is where my plot problems start to kick in. Loki wanted to be captured and taken to the helicarrier? Yes. Why? Because he believes that he can destroy the group that is good to bring him down from the inside. I don't know why he knows who the Avengers are. I can only presume that he knows about Hulk because he's taken the mind of Selvig, the scientist. And since Selvig made some obscure throwaway line in Thor about how he might have known Banner, that's how he knows that Hulk might be in the mix. But we'll find out, and Scarlet really is the one to find out, that that is his aim. He's going to destroy the team from inside by triggering their secret weapon and turning it on them. Arnie, you called him out. He's the god of mischief. Uh, He's got to cause some problems like this. Yes, he wants to be caught. He wants to destroy the team from the inside. I mean, he also has Hawkeye, remember. I'm sure he's getting a lot of information from him, which he does, and he uses that later on to taunt Black Widow. So, yeah, he wants to go. He knows these are the people. This is the agency. If anyone could stop him, this is the agency. So he needs to destroy it before trying to take over the world. And as it's called out later on in the film, by doing it in this grand spectacle, I defeated your greatest heroes. It's going to make people fear him all the more. I do wonder, like Stuart, how he knows about the Avengers. We did see him spying on Selvig and Fury in Thor. And a year has passed. Maybe he's learned all of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s secrets. Maybe he knew that there was a helicarrier. Iron Man's not very secret either. He's a pretty public figure. Yeah, because it's also revealed he knows specifically about the arc reactor technology. And that's why he has to be at Stark Tower. Loki's done his homework. I don't know how. I don't know if he was in a library with the microfiche or if he just used the Google. But. But Loki's done his stuff. I think you're onto something with Hawkeye. You know, we think of him as a marksman, that he's got just a good eye for who to kill. But he might actually be checking up on everybody. He might just be a good mole. He knows a lot. This kind of does go back to Avengers number one, the original comic. It's about Loki. He's the villain, and he wants to get revenge against Thor, and so he tricks the Hulk into fighting Thor. That was kind of his original idea, is turn the heroes against each other so he could go about and do his thing. Yeah. I don't know it at the time. I totally believe that he needs whatever he's pulling out of this German Stuttgart factory thing, but I do figure it out as we go through the movie. The only way that it makes sense to me is that he is allowing have to be caught because i mean they get him he doesn't really put up that much of a fight and then who should come back but his half brother huh yeah if i thought that iron man took a long time to show up i'd honestly forgotten about thor by the time thor shows up i was just confused i mean that was like the big deal with Thor is that he destroys the Bifrost Bridge. He can't get back to Jane Foster, his love. How will they reunite and travel through space and time to be together again? Nope, just some lightning strikes, and there he is. Well, there is a dropped line that Odin used dark energies to transport him. Oh, I know. I heard that line. In scenes that weren't filmed but were scripted, there's more exposition to answer this exact question. Oh, no, no more exposition. And I'm not (laughs) even sure that I want to see a cameo of Anthony Hopkins taking a nap and making crap happen. I feel like this is just a bad fix. I don't mind it because I want them to get to the team together at this point. We need Thor in here. Some mumbo-jumbo about, oh, my dad pulled some stunts and here I am. It's lame. Okay, it is lame, but let's just go on with it. 
Well, there is one detail that was scripted that I found would have really helped the film, is that Thor isn't here the way he would be on Bifrost. That him being here is very temporary. There's a time limit to Thor being here to get Loki back, and there's that gives even more of a ticking clock for Thor's time. So it's not that he can just transport anywhere at any time for any amount of time. That's at least what he texted Jane. Oh, I'd love to see you, babe, but uh, I'm doing other stuff here. <laughs> yeah, maybe he isn't so in love or not. I mean, the way they framed that end of Thor, you'd think the only thing on Earth that mattered to him, he's standing on that bridge with a sad face. The only thing that would matter was getting his chick. Now I'm not so sure. Well, they at least mention her. They had to, right? When he gets on the helicarrier, they're like, we've sent her off far, far away so Loki can't find her and we don't have to pay Natalie Portman to come on set. I hope the future directors never find her either. Keep her there. I'm with you. But before we get to that scene, Thor wants Loki. He never even knows about the Avengers. He knows Phil Coulson, son of Cole, but he doesn't know anybody else. And so he breaks Loki out. Yeah, and this is my point. You know, they captured Loki relatively easy. Then Thor gets him. Then Thor and Iron Man start going at it. Loki's kind of just standing there being like, well, eventually you'll remember me and take me back to your big base. Part of me was wondering why he didn't flee. And part of me is wondering, well, he can't can't teleport he might have a long walk ahead of him yes <laughs> i think that this is where it tells you hey i really do want to get taken to your base here i have schemes and as these characters start fighting each other he's getting off on this he's smiling he's laughing this is what he wants he wants earth's mightiest heroes to fight each other and destroy each other yeah it could happen right here i mean this is the scene where we get the three big guys that have had four big movies all on the same page and none of them are getting along. We've needed this scene. It needs to be happening right now. They do it well. I got to say, I did not like Thor and Thor. I didn't think he was tough enough. I thought he needed to be a bit more brutal. He was so much, oh, I got to be peaceful now. And brother, let's kiss and make up. Here, he speaks that way. He wants to bring his brother to Asgardian justice and take him back. But the dude throws down in this film. And finally, this is the Thor I wanted. Someone that's going to toss that hammer around and get dirty. Amen. I love Thor in this. He is badass. I complained in, when we watched Thor that I didn't think that Hemsworth really had the physique. I wasn't really buying him because I've seen Thor in the comics as almost Hulk size. Here, I think maybe it's the tweaks they did to his outfit. Maybe it's the tweaks they did to his wig. Maybe it's he's more confident in the role, but this dude is rockin' tough, and I can't believe how cool he is with that hammer. No, maybe they actually gave him a script worth repeating here. It's the, all about the presentation. I'm right about Thor. He was written as a silly fish-out-of-water character the last time. They've dropped all that. They have to. He is here to help them solve a problem. He is a big, tough guy of war. This is a war. And he is ready to participate. It's needed. It was needed in Thor, but at least they've fixed it here. And he's great. <laughs> Again, I, I don't want to just quote every great line, but doth mother know you weareth her drapes? Yes. Shakespeare in the park. I, yeah, I mean, yeah. there's a lot of lines being here. I'll be honest with you. There's too many lines here. I think you picked your best ones. You let it go. I feel like there was a lot of yucking. And, well, you know, the audience loved it. That's Whedon. 
Whedon always throws in comedy. This is what Buffy did. I mean, just about every character talks like they're Spider-Man, who we'll be getting to in a few weeks. Everything's a joke. And you go with it or you don't. You either like this kind of Whedon sense of humor where the characters are going to kind of wink at the audience and break that fourth wall a little to realize, hey, what we're doing here is a little ridiculous, or they're not. And I always, maybe because I've liked Buffy since the mid-90s, but I really am enjoying the humor here, and especially when it's coming from Stark. Well, that's why it works, is because it is from Stark. If this was Cap throwing out these lines, it would be totally out of character. This banter works because this is what Tony would do in this situation. I am making a call for moderation. I'm not against any one line per se. I'm against all of the lines. I do feel like it's a little much. Now that I've seen Cabin in the Woods and Alien Resurrection that we're getting to next week, I am starting to get that this is him. And I I do feel like a little him goes a long way. I don't know what it is, but with comics, it's always good versus evil. But the big sell, like when you really want to sell something, you pit the heroes against each other. Right now with Marvel, it's Avengers versus X-Men. Like good guys versus good guys. I don't know what it is, but comics love to go to this cliche. But I think this is the first time we've really seen it. Like this is our first real team movie. We've had like Fantastic Four where it's a group of heroes. But this is all different characters coming together. And as many times as I've seen this in comics, it felt fresh and it felt fun seeing it on the big screen. It's my dad can beat up your dad. I mean, nobody's going to make the claim that the other guy's dad is bad. I mean, a fight between good and evil, well, we know who we want to win. But this is a test to see who's the toughest. That's what it really is about. If you got Iron Man, Captain America, and Thor together in a fight, who's going to win? Who's the best of those three? It's a different impulse than fighting evil. It's about celebrating the best. And really... It's kind of Iron Man and Cap versus Thor, which again goes back to how tough Thor is in this film. Because Iron Man and Cap have each other's back, while Cap may not really agree with Iron Man's methods here, he's never going to really try to kick Iron Man's ass. They're just both trying to stop the guy who stole Loki. Yeah, there's a few times, and maybe because I'm the comic geek, I'm like, man, Thor, he's hitting Iron Man a bit too hard. This would take Iron Man out. I know he built a special suit, the Hulkbuster suit, to take on the Hulk, and that thing's monstrous, but it's still a fun scene. You have to have it. I enjoyed the action. It did feel a little obligatory to me. It's like, I think I said this in one of the earlier podcasts, we have to have the scenes where the heroes fight each other before they fight the enemy. It's how you get each other's respect and it does give that geek wish fulfillment so i knew it was coming it was in the trailer but it was a rollicking good time to watch yeah i like that there is at least some kind of logic behind it thor comes wants to take loki back to asgard to bring him to justice these heroes want to bring him to justice on earth for his crimes so at least there is that logic to bring them together to have this fight i do like that it ends on a big hit with the molnir hitting the vibranium shield and the reverberation just deforests an area But by the same token, I think it ends too easily. It's like, okay, we've knocked down some trees. I guess we're going to talk it out instead. I think you realize it's a stalemate at that point. Yes. They can't beat each other. It's a draw. We need to accept that. Nobody's going to win this fight. Everyone is worthy of being called an Avenger. They've all passed the test. Now, I know you guys ate up all of this fighting. You're comic book people. These are your peeps doing it in real time. It's real to you. But my favorite stuff is actually what happens next in the movie. 
It's all that talky stuff. The movie stops being the spectacle and takes a little time to let us know where each character is in the war, where their head's at. I agree with you, Stuart. I like all the head games, all the little alliances here. Fury and Cap kind of teaming up, Banner and Stark teaming up, you know, the two scientists. And I like all of that because the whole point of this is Avengers Assemble, as it's called in some countries. This team has to come together and they all have their different allegiances. They all have their different suspicions. And I like these little moments here. First and foremost, Cap. Cap has got to challenge why he celebrates S.H.I.E.L.D. He fought HYDRA to make sure that they didn't use the Tesseract as a weapon. And now, that's exactly what the people that promote him are trying to do. This is a really good turn of events. This allows Cap to not become too much of a goody-goody like he might have been in the second half of the movie. I mean, it really becomes down to me. It's a debate about how best to protect the Earth. There are aliens... They're coming. Do we need more weapons as a deterrence or do we just get really good people and train them and let them be our protectors? I think it's valid. I think it's one of the few times where this movie actually feels like it's about something beyond the thrill of making comic books come to life. I feel like this is thematic stuff. I like it. You know, Thor, he's the outsider. He's not really going to have a voice in this, but he's in love with a human and he's starting to learn humility from us and what it is to be a human. Cap is the symbol of American exceptionalism. Stark's the scientist. Natasha's apolitical. She has that great line. My favorite line of the movie is she doesn't care who's ruling it. She's Russian. You know, she knows regime change. Great stuff. I feel like when these people are talking about how they feel about supporting S.H.I.E.L.D. in its endeavors, I'm down with that. I like the idea that S.H.I.E.L.D. is not the good guy. This is a team of people debating about why they are affiliated under an umbrella that is both good and bad. My one problem is I think they try to let Nick Fury off this too easy. They find out Phase 2 are these weapons of mass destruction to take out Asgard if they ever need to, or another alien planet. And he's like, well, I really wanted to do the Avengers, but they wouldn't let me, so I had to move to Phase 2. But I really wanted to do you guys first. I believe him. I believe that that is what Fury wanted. That's why he's been showing up at the ends of all these movies. This is the project that was important to him. I think he would think it's just too easy to punch a button and shoot a missile. He's just much more about the team effort. But then that makes him such a pushover. Like, in the end, he caves into his masters. He's got a boss. He is not in charge of here. I like that. It is a series of Russian dolls. Every time you think you see a big one, they're just inside of something bigger. You know, you never get to see who's pulling all the strings. There is always somebody else. Everyone's got a boss. It's just a fact of life. And I did not expect this. Coming into Avengers, I thought it was going to be a bunch of people that put aside their problems and realized they all wanted to be S.H.I.E.L.D. good guys. That's not what this is. They only assemble because they can find a problem that's worthy to all of their separate aims. These are the scenes where we see them really process that. It's the best stuff here for me. I actually agree. I love this. I love seeing how the characters relate to each other. I love Stark and Banner yeah. bonding over science. Yes. And Stark like, you gotta come to our labs. You'd really be able to geek out over there. And I like Thor and Cap kind of, you know, as leaders working it out. I like a lot of these character moments and I like, again, the dialogue in there. I start to feel here where this cast is kind of like Thanksgiving dinner and the buttons are about to pop. <laughs> the character who 
is like the extra piece of pecan pie that shouldn't have been eaten is Maria Hill. Kobe Smulders, I've watched her for years on How I Met Your Mother. That's how she got the job is because Allison Hannigan, Willow from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, said, Hey, Joss, this girl's really good. She got this role. She signed to a nine-picture deal. (laughs) Yeah, I can't wait to see her spinoff movie. And... And all the pre-press stuff, she's like, well, she and Fury really come at things opposite ways. And she's, you know, equal to Fury. She is not equal to Fury. She's Fury's secretary. It does feel that way. In the comics, and this is a relatively new character. I didn't realize she didn't show up until 2005 is when she made her first appearance because she is so prevalent in Marvel comics that deal with S.H.I.E.L.D. She is a tough character. She, I don't know if she's equal to Fury, but she would be able to keep her own. I feel they really gave her a backseat here. Kind of like going back to Green Lantern, sorry, Stuart, what they did with Amanda Waller, who in the DC universe is just as tough as they get, and she's a pansy scientist. She's really a non-entity to me in this film. I don't feel like she's had her moment yet. They gave her a chase scene in a Jeep at the beginning of the movie. She's basically there so that Fury can bounce off his ideas, too, because everybody else is doing something cooler. But when the base actually goes under attack and everyone's kind of being thrown around, I'm like, oh, this feels kind of like Star Trek. And I looked at her there sitting there at the laptop. I'm like... It's Ahura. That's who she is. (laughs) This is Ahura. She's just going to hail some frequencies. She's going to hang out. She's kind of in the background. We don't need to love her. We don't need to hate her. She's kind of, in many ways, the same character as Coulson is to me. And since Coulson's not going to continue on, she's the new Coulson. All right. And that is sad. Coulson, I'm loving him in this film. He's become a very warm presence. He is the constant throughout. Yeah, I don't know. I was always kind of... Middle of the road with Coulson. This time, they really do try to personalize him, giving him a first name, giving him this cellist-esque girlfriend in Portland. They really try to let you know that there's this life about him that we never thought before. Maybe even that's why we had that throwaway bit on the Captain America Blu-ray. I don't feel strongly about him. I'm sorry. I'm never going to get too worked up about him. But I understand that he's needed in this story to keep things functioning. We need Maria here for the same reason. They are allowing the plots to go forward. They are transmitting shield messages to all the various characters as they do the more interesting stuff. They are functional. I don't feel I have to like them. And I don't. I don't dislike them either. I really thought he had a name before this movie, but maybe it's because I've been reading all these comics and it's all starting to blur. I don't know. I never really cared for him in the other films. I did end up really liking him in Thor, but this is the film where I really felt he came into his own with his trading cards and his geeking out. I felt he was like the voice of the audience. So here's where, yeah, I did really connect with him. Well, you nailed it, Arnie. Voice of the audience. I always felt like this was our view into this superhero universe. Here's this mere mortal. And there's other, you know, Fury doesn't have magical powers. Hawkeye doesn't. But Coulson, he seems like there's our every man to get a view into this larger world. The only S.H.I.E.L.D. agent that I really feel has a personality is Natasha, and she gets to show it off again here when she goes at Loki. I fell in love with Black Widow in this scene. You want to know why? Not just because, man, her ass looks good in that suit. <laughs> I, that was, I'm out of ideas. What else? She played me like she played Loki. Because she's there and she's like, Hawkeye saved my life. I don't care about other governments. I just want to save Hawkeye. And I'm like, oh my God, this is so trite. He's like, is this love? It's not about love. It's about my ledger. I'm like, oh, it's about love. This is so lame. I 
fell for it just like Loki did. When Natasha realizes I've been playing you, she's looking at me. She played me. I thought the script had gone lame, and it hadn't. We saw it at the beginning of the film. She's getting interrogated, but she's really the one doing the interrogating. And she does it again right here, and it tricks me again. There's two reasons why we believe her. One, we haven't seen her with Hawkeye, so it's quite possible they have this history. And two, I've watched dozens of Marvel movies, and whenever they give a woman anything to do with it, whenever a woman is a superhero, their powers are always feminine. Villain or or hero, it's always about being seductive, it's always about their love, they're always defined in the ways that these kinds of movies like to put women in boxes. This movie plays us because we we think this is just another Marvel chick that on the outside, all leather and scars, but on the inside, just wants to have a nice night with Hawkeye. And yeah, <laughs> that's why it works. Here's the thing that really sells it for me is I think her story is true. I think there's some horrible past with her that maybe they'll touch on when they get to that Black Widow movie. Yeah, it's coming. <laughs> I'll be it, there first yeah, night, I, midnight I'm showing. Enough. But I think that's all true. What makes her so great is she's dealing with all this pain. Loki saying all these things that are pissing you off, but she turns it right around on him and she's not even affected. She gets the information. He's here to get the Hulk to go into rage mode and let's move on. Like, that's what I like about it. She'll never play us again, though. I'll tell you, I'll be watching it every other time. I won't believe her anytime she's telling somebody something confessional. I'll be like, ah, you're playing them. One of our European listeners emailed me, though, because... I didn't realize this. When Loki finds out he's been played, he calls Black Widow a mewling Quinn. I just took that as some Asgardian insult. No, it's the Shakespearean version of the C word. Oh. <laughs> it is actually a British insulting term for vaginal fluids. Mm. And the Brits are very confused how that term got past their censors to allow this to be a teen-rated film. Us stupid Yanks, we just go, Mule and Quim, whatever. But no, it's actually exceptionally foul. You could probably name an action figure that and kids would buy it, you know? <laughs> oh. oh, it's the Mewling Quim Black Widow. We now have to put an explicit tag on the show for our UK release. It's inevitable. We just can't be clean anymore. <laughs> I'm wondering, what is Loki doing here? I know that he wants to trigger Hulk, and we've seen him when he was brought in. He even gave Banner this I'm evil look. He's in the Hulk cage itself. He finds it amusing that he's in a device that was designed to capture and kill Hulk. It can actually kill Hulk. But before that happens, Banner is playing with the scepter. What's going on here? I'm confused by how much of the conspiracy that Banner starts to spew here is actually from logically seeing what's going on and calling it out and what Loki is actually maybe doing to him the way that he touches other people with the scepter and gets in their heads that seems to be happening here as well but he doesn't totally get him you pegged it and I didn't get this I thought this whole thing was just infighting for infighting's sake but no what has been said in some of the already released online special features (laughs) (laughs) why wait for a DVD (laughs) The scepter itself, if it touches you, you get full control, but its mere presence there has started to mess with everybody's head. That's why you get Captain America 
going, take away your armor, what are you, and challenging Iron Man to a fight right there. That is not really in their character. I just took it as smack talk for smack talk's sake. I wasn't really caring for it. I, again, wish there was one throwaway line to tell the audience what was said by the producer in an interview that the Scepter is driving them all a bit batty. While they're all having this fight, I got that feeling, oh, this is the Scepter, and they do this camera motion that flips around over the Scepter as they're all fighting, but then they cut away to Hawkeye and some bad guys, and I'm like, oh, they're zooming in on this invisible shield helicarrier. Is that a tracking device? It seems like they just use that to track to see where Loki was. Like, that's what threw me off. I thought it was making a fight, but then they show it as a tracking device. It's very confusing, not very clear. Yeah, it's a weird climax for this scene. I really enjoy this stuff, but I am feeling like, hey, things are getting crazy. You know, at one point, he's holding the scepter. You think he might actually use it. And then he has a really amazing confession here. He can't be killed. I liked it. I wanted that in the Norton film, and they cut it. But now here they put it back that Banner has tried to commit suicide, and as soon as he pulls the trigger, the Hulk pops out and catches that bullet in his teeth. What I take this as, I mean, we also get that scene with Stark and Banner where Stark's saying, this thing in my chest prevents the shrapnel. I took it as we're catching the audience up on if you didn't see the previous movies, here's the mental state and physical state of our characters. It seemed a little out of place to give a suicide confession right there, but I did like the inclusion of that cut plot from the original. Mm. I took it as, God dang it, give me my director's cut of that Hulk movie that includes it, because I liked that stuff. It also lets you know slowly but surely who the real Banner is. Yeah, when we see him, he's a kindly doctor. He doesn't seem like anything gets to him. But we slowly learn he's seething with rage all the time. I mean, by the end of this, it's just that he has been able to tamp that down. And this is another slow reveal about how much more is boiling underneath the surface. And again, I want to salute Ruffalo playing it very, very well. By this time, I'm liking Ruffalo. It's just that in the India stuff, I wasn't buying his delivery. I'm loving him at this point. And I like that they keep teasing, like, how have you been able to fight off the Hulk? He keeps teasing that he has a secret, why he's not hulking out all the time now. And I, and I like that they play that here. And you're about to get the reveal, and then things go boom. Yeah, everyone wants him to be Hulk, until he does. <laughs> but we got to get in our last Avenger here, Hawkeye's back. Still evil, coming to take down the base and maybe rescue Loki. That's the intent here. Which, if Loki's doing a rescue attempt, why did he want to be captured? Loki's plan is all very nebulous. I really think Loki's plan is to do actions that create a good superhero movie. <laughs> Like, he's such a god of mischief, he's like, I don't really want to take over Earth, I just want some entertainment. Yeah, I think that is a part of his character. I mean, if you think of a trickster god, yeah, I want to be amused. Why else come here? And so, yeah, Hawkeye sets an exploding arrow. I don't know, Rambo had them, do those exist? I just think that's such a comic book conceit. I have an exploding arrow. I guess Abigail Whistler had him in Blade, too, but... I'm fine with exploding arrows. I'm not fine with a flying, invisible, aircraft carrier, starship city that doesn't have any way of protecting itself from a single exploding arrow. (laughs) 
<laughs> You're right. I just called out an exploding arrow, but Helicarrier, I'm fine. <laughs> I mean, that's really weak. That's a design flaw. That's a Death Star kind of design flaw of like, oh yeah, there's this thing, whole thing goes boom. Here is where I really realize our heroes have totally different power scales. And so the engine is out. The whole Helicarrier's going to crash. Let's send Iron Man to do the heavy lifting. Oh, Hawkeye is attacking. That seems more suited for Black Widow. Yes. (laughs) Everybody just kind of finds their thing. And poor Cap. You know, you said Cap's your way in and Iron Man felt extraneous. In this fight and the later one, Cap feels like a hangers-on and also ran a, uh, give me something to do. You want me to stand by a lever? I'll stand by a lever. Yeah, I have no idea why Iron Man would want this guy and not Banner, a scientist, to help him figure out the engine troubles. But I guess he feels like he needs muscle to back him up should they get into trouble. It doesn't really make sense. But yes, you're right. They don't know what to do with Cap in these moments. But they do know what to do with Hulk. We finally get a Hulk out. I gotta say, the Ruffalo face on Hulk's creepy, though, isn't it? Is it just me? Creepy? I'm glad that we finally get a Hulk that looks right, that looks like the person, and this is the best Hulk, right? Whatever you think of the performance or anything, the CGI, we're there now, we can buy this. Oh, he has complete physicality. I never once doubted him. Best Hulk ever. I think they finally got it to where they could pull it off. I said, we finally got a helicarrier. We got the technology to make a helicarrier and get all these big moments that you see in comic books. They finally get the Hulk right. And I like the idea that they're introducing him as a threat to a character we like. It's not that it's a hero moment. He's not transforming to save the day. He's transforming and Natasha is trapped under some girders and needs to get away or she is going to be torn apart. Yeah, and what sells it is a couple guys come to help her, and she's like, no, get out of here. (laughs) And you, again, feel her fear. It was hinted at in the opening scene when she first meets Banner, but here she's like, I swear, I'll save you. Don't panic. Don't. No. I just... (laughs) She completely puts the tension of this moment in the scene, and when Hulk shows up, and this is, again, one of the bonus features is the reason Hulk attacks her, because Hulk doesn't really have a beef with her. Yeah, I was going to ask, why does he attack her? And does he Hulk out because he's just in pain? Is that what happens? What is said is that Scepter is making Banner lose control of his Hulk. Yeah. Banner has control of his Hulk. It was hinted at at the end of Incredible Hulk when he opens his eyes. We all were like, does Banner control it now? What you learn in this end fight, Banner has control. Banner can control his Hulk. Stuart, you got your wish. I did, and it's the best Hulk ever. (laughs) (laughs) The trial of the Incredible Hulk is over, and I win. (laughs) I wish they would have explained this scepter then better, because this was confusing to me, why he hulks out now. Because... This scene makes Hulk seem like a berserker who's going to be a damage to everyone, like he is in the Ultimates comics. And so, later on, this doesn't fit in. If they had had a throwaway line about the scepter causing the madness, this would have played better. But come on. We talked about the fight in the forest. The Hulk fight is the hero fight of the movie. Oh, it's Arnie. I mean, it might not be as character driven as that Hulk TV movie, but this Thor versus Hulk, much, much better. I completely went back to the return of the Incredible Hulk. I'm like, God, it's Hulk and Thor again. I really wondered if they'd have Hemsworth say, it's a troll. Come at the troll. I was doomed. <laughs> 
what I really like, again, a comic book geek moment is Thor throws the hammer and the Hulk goes to catch it and it kind of pulls him back and drops and he tries to lift it and he can't. I like those little details is that even the Hulk can't lift that up. He's as strong as anything, but strength can't beat magic. It just seems to me like one of those comic book things. There's got to be an endless debate about who would win in a fight, Hulk or Thor, Hulk or Thor, Hulk or Thor. We don't get a conclusive answer here, but it is a great fight. This is, yes, one of the very best in the film. We kind of know who wins because Thor gives up trying to defeat the Hulk and instead just tries to distract him by having a F-16 come to shoot at him. We we talked about with Ang Lee's Hulk when he gets out to the desert and starts smashing tanks. We're like, yeah, this is the moment we're waiting for. I love this. The Hulk jumps out, pounding this airplane. The pilot tries to eject himself out. The Hulk grabs him. That is so great because I'm thinking the guy's going to eject. It's going to be like Ang Lee. It's like G.I. Joe. He ejects. Hulk grabs has the freaking injection seat. I'm like, oh my god, he's really gonna kill this guy. But then he just throws it and the guy parachutes anyway. But it's a great moment that he catches the ejection seat. And it also foreshadows something that's gonna happen later. Yeah, when Hulk smashes in this film, it's a lot of fun. Like, I don't feel like I'm watching a video game like I did with The Incredible Hulk. It's much more of an adrenaline rush than Ang Lee's Hulk. Stuart, you're right. Best Hulk ever. Yeah, and best Hulk fight ever. Hulk has super people to fight much better than even the Abomination fight, which I liked. Yeah, you were alone in that, but yes. Unfortunately, it shows exactly how pointless Iron Man is. We also intercut this with Iron Man and the engines. Yawn. It is nothing. It's Iron Man literally spinning in circles. (laughs) It's kind of a joke. It's more of the comedy side of things. I mean, this other stuff is kind of scary. I don't think we're worried about Iron Man. It's just more kind of funny. And even Nick Fury and Maria Hill kill some people. I think that they're killing their own people under Loki's control, but... No, they call out earlier, they show the lab and there's all these people. It's more than just Hawkeye, Skarsgård, and the one S.H.I.E.L.D. agent that you see at the beginning that turns sides. And the line is dropped, oh, S.H.I.E.L.D. has made a lot of enemies. So I don't know if these are old Hydra agents that are still lurking around, but S.H.I.E.L.D. does have a lot of enemies out there. They would be rude. Really old Hydra agents. I mean... Well, Hydra, the the organization has kept on going and kept recruiting. That's... Yes. (laughs) I'm like, what, is this the Stan Lee cameo? He's going to kick some ass? (laughs) So with Hulk out of the way, Thor goes after Loki. And Cunning wins over brute strength. (laughs) I just love, are you ever going to not fall for this? (laughs) Again, it's it's a Whedon line, but I love it. And Thor gets trapped in the Hulk cage and... Dumped. This is designed to kill Hulk. The presumption is that the impact will kill anything if dropped from the distance that they're at. Terminal velocity. I don't think it could kill Hulk, but I did wonder, could it kill Thor? Loki wondered it too. Think about it. When he fell off of that Russian plane at the end of Death of Incredible Hulk, it worked. (laughs) And... The way it's filmed, the way that plummeting tank is filmed spinning end over end, I pictured it in my mind as falling straight down. When you see it tumbling like that and Thor's hammer trying to break the glass and everything, you get that this actually could cause as much damage on the way down as the impact itself. Yeah, I thought it would fall straight down too and it'd create like, what, an anti-gravity type effect? At least wind resistance, yeah. Yeah, but this thing, I mean, Thor, he can't get a straight shot to throw his hammer through the glass and escape. But he does crack the glass, making me think Hulk would just walk right on out. Yeah, they say it's Hulk-proof, but he was able to crack it with one pound of Mjolnir. Well, they're only guessing here. They say it's (laughs) Hulk-proof. They've never tested it. (laughs) 
I think you only get to test a thing once when it comes to the Hulk. Yeah. Or three times when it comes to making Marvel movies. <laughs> with Thor gone, Coulson comes in to save the day. Ah, yes. With a gun built out of a destroyer. The destroyer left on Earth is now weaponized. And here we get a Whedon trademark, although Whedon is on the record. Marvel made him do it. And when he read the script and they said, you're going to kill Coulson, Whedon said, you know, they're going to blame me for this. But Loki impales Coulson on the scepter. This is the right choice. I wanted to say I don't have strong feelings about Coulson. I feel like he's been generic. But he is the glue that has unified the whole team. The whole team is at odds. They cannot agree. When last they were talking to each other, they were not on the same page. Killing him is going to bring everybody together. It's what has to happen. Emotionally, I don't care. I'll be honest. I didn't care. I wasn't moved. I'm not going to miss him. But I think that to get the story to where it's going to go for the rest of the movie, which is everyone coming together to defeat the aliens, this is the way to do it. I was surprised that they killed Coulson. It came out of nowhere for me. I thought, this character, again, they just introduced him into the Marvel Universe and the comics, and now they take him out. It's a character that I had some affection for. I, I always thought he played a good comedic role in some of those earlier films. I'm not sure he's dead. I'm just going to say it now. This is an agency that continually lies and deceives, and we'll see what they do with Coulson later on to really bring this team together. I think he's coming back. I think he's really dead. I think they're not going to do that to us. When he died, I was stunned. I'd gone in spoiler-free. I didn't know he was going to die. Are you guys serious? You really didn't feel like once he showed up with that gun that that was going to happen? I mean, that, to me, I was like, this is obviously... No, he could get stabbed, but that doesn't mean he dies. Oh. Once it happened, I'm like, that was the right choice because he's minor enough that it doesn't cause problems. It's like killing the dog, right? It's the killing the family pet. The only way to do what they did with Coulson and have it emotionally hit us would be if they rolled the big dice and took out Fury. Because I don't think Sam Jackson does anything in this movie, honestly. I think that he is mostly there to be cool and to toe the party line for all these people that don't agree with the party line. They could have killed Fury. This could have been Fury dead. Killing Coulson is an easier way of doing that. I think that would have been a good choice, Stuart, because I really thought this movie was going to end with Nick Fury out of a job. I thought he'd have to go into hiding because he disobeyed those shadow people. And because Maria Hill is signed for nine films, I'm like, oh, they're taking the cheap option because they almost didn't bring Sam Jackson back after Iron Man because his agents demanded too much money for the deal they wanted. Yeah. And so I thought they were going to leave him in disgrace, you know, like James Bond in License to Kill. He's now on the run. They're talking about a Nick Fury solo film. It would be good to break him away from S.H.I.E.L.D. Killing him would be that extra step. But yeah, that would have been an even better choice and cheaper overall for the strategy. But they didn't build up Maria well enough to replace him. If Maria had been a stronger character, that would have been a real way to go. I just don't see this team, the Avengers, rallying around the death of Nick Fury. I think they'd be kind of relieved. Good, we finally get to go home. This guy was kind of a dick. No more donuts at Randy's. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Coulson, he's a nice guy. I, he had this thing for Captain America and collected his cards and knew Iron Man's girlfriend really well. Like, that's a character that's sympathetic. That's all done in this movie to engender that goodwill. That wasn't set up in any of the other five movies. The closest we had to it was that throwaway bit 
in the Blu-ray of Captain America where he's taking out people in a quickie mart or whatever. I, they've never really wanted to develop Coulson until this time. They develop him so that they can kill him, so that we will feel bad. To me, it was obvious, and I was relieved. I'm glad that they had a unifying plot device that would get everyone on the page at this time. And just to make sure it sticks, I love the fact that Fury takes those Captain America cards, gets some blood on them, and it's like, oh, you know, he really plays it up. He's a manipulator, too. Everyone here is playing poker. Again, I say, everyone has got a game. They are not showing their hands. They are all playing a game where they're trying to get what they want. And it's hard to be a team and get what you want, but you see people trying to make that play all the time. It's really a continuing enjoyable theme of the film. And it does make the Avengers assemble, except for Banner, who crash lands and is found by Harry Dean Stanton. I thought this should have been the perfect Stan Lee moment. What the hell is Harry Dean Stanton doing in here? Go show up in Prometheus. Don't do this. There are cutscenes. This was a larger thing. This was going to be Harry Dean Stanton showing up and being like a wise sage who gives Banner a reason to join the team. Notice Banner the whole time was like, Stark's like, oh, we're going to get Loki. And Banner's like, uh, you're going to get Loki and I'm going to leave. And Harry Dean Stanton gives Banner a speech or sad talking to or something. It's what motivates Banner to get on the moped and go find the Avengers. It's cut. Ruffalo said he understands that running time was important, but it breaks his heart the scene was gone. It's the whole reason they brought Harry Dean Stanton in. Uh, yeah, that does make more sense. I mean, they played off for comedy here. Are you an alien? You're kind of surprised when Banner does show up at the end. You know he needs to get there, but he just rides up on a bike. Why did he make that decision? An even more perplexing choice. Natasha hits Hawkeye on the head, and now he's fine. That's it. That's all it takes. This is bullcrap. You get brainwashed by alien demigod magic, and you just got to get a concussion to heal it. I did think it was a Three Stooges solution to this. It just bop. Again, it's kind of like Thor showing up. I don't like it. It's really bad. But this thing is moving so fast. Why belabor it? Okay, we're moving on. Hawkeye is good again. (laughs) I knew he was going to be on the Avengers team. He needs to be on here now. My head hurts, but we're, we're going on. His head hurts. It's kind of funny. We lose a banner. We gain a Hawkeye. The team stays the same size. And then we get one of my favorite scenes of the movie because they figure out Loki's plan. Stark figures it out that his tower is actually part of it. He needs the arc reactor that's powering the building. So Tony shows up there to basically play the Black Widow role and talk him to the point of stalling. See, I thought he just showed up there because he needed to change clothes. That Iron Man suit was all beat up. He needed to get into the new one. And Loki was there. So he had to put on this act, buy himself some time to put on his magic magnetic bracelets that would draw the suit to him. I'm confused by a bit here. You know, I can believe Stark is cocky enough to want to have a drink with a deity that wants to kill him. Sure, whatever. He didn't even really want the drink, though. He wanted the bracelets that he knew were in the bar. The drink was a cover. Okay, yes. So that he can get the magic new suit that comes flying down for him. Why is it that the scepter does not work on him? Because it hits the arc reactor. It doesn't touch skin. It makes a metal clanking sound. Okay. It's hitting the arc reactor instead of skin. So Loki should have moved his scepter over. I think it has to hit a special point because he touched everyone in the same spot. Yeah, I agree. I do like the dialogue here. It's a great talk scene because 
honestly, Hiddleston and Ruffalo are competing for the surprise of this movie for me. And Hiddleston is standing toe-to-toe with Downey, and we're just getting such great quips, such great dialogue. It's got such import, and they're just doing this chess game of words. I love the stuff between the Avengers on the helicarrier, but this is the golden talking moment for me. And the fact that there's the undercurrent of Stark really just trying to get his new armor, which, can Stark please make it through a movie with the same suit of armor? These suits of armor are like Kleenex. He's just going through them. You don't mean that. I do, because I'm tired of buying them at $300 a figure. (laughs) (laughs) See, I I love this suit. It's not as cool as the suitcase one, but I love the Like, it zooms in on his bracelet, and it unfolds and goes around him. It's a cool effect. You need that in this film. Listen, I knew the Mark 7 was coming. I've already pre-ordered it. (laughs) I just wanted to see what made the Mark 7 better. I wanted to see what the upgrade to the Mark 7 was. Really, the only upgrade is now he doesn't need a gantry to put the suit of armor on. It can now come to him, which is a nice upgrade. But I wish there was more to it than that. I do like the idea that they're getting back to that city, though. You know, that this building that they're in is the start of that world that his father was dreaming of making. That they are actually building it. It's going beyond the model. They're improving on it. It's a tower. Not only is it a city, but this is a skyscraper. Why do they need this building to open the door? It's strictly the power source. It's unlimited power. Yeah. But didn't the Tesseract already have unlimited power? Uh, Yeah, I don't know. They need something to power it. They need something to build a force field around it. They need something to stabilize it. I need a battery for my battery. You know, my (laughs) unlimited battery supply, it needs a charge. (laughs) You know, I go with it. Again, I'm now starting to feel like things are clunking as they're getting towards the end. I'm feeling like ideas are falling away, and now it's just time to fight. Everyone knows I'm less checked into the big fighting scenes, particularly when they're untethered to ideas. I do feel like the movie's kind of peaked at this point and now I just have to go, okay, it's time for the carnival. It's time for the non-stop action merry-go-round. But damn, it's a fun merry-go-round. I wouldn't call it the merry-go-round. I'd call it the roller coaster. It's the screaming eagle. It is a WWF Smackdown romp of superhero fun. I'm going to agree with Stuart on this. These aliens seem to have no plan. They want to take over an entire planet and they fly in on their little scooters and just start shooting people. These aliens suck. Okay. Here's something in this movie that literally just stinks. And maybe no one notices because everyone's enjoying the good vibes coming off of our heroes. But they are battling some sad-ass villains. They really are. I got that, too. Like, it's called out at one point, Hawkeye is like, these guys can't bank. I'm like, really? You got aliens that can't turn? I don't like the way they look. I don't like the not knowing who they are. We haven't had time to learn about them. We certainly don't fear them. The only thing cool is their little worm things. But they themselves, I'm not down. No, I hate these aliens. I mean, these are scrolls. These are big in the Marvel Universe. They're shapeshifters. They're an actual threat. Here, they kind of growl and slide down the side of the buildings. But being on Arnie's side, this is a fun roller coaster. Even if I hate these aliens, it's fun watching them get defeated. Yes, but being on Stewart's side, the thing that pissed me off the most is those serpent ships. This is the biggest letdown for me since Shockwave and the Serpent and Transformers. Because it's in the trailer, right? 
Iron Man's like, I'm bringing the party to you. And you see this giant serpent following him. And you're like, what is this serpent? And I remember reading rumors that it was a serpent of Asgard that could kill Thor and all these things. I took it as it was a -a one-of-a-kind thing. No, it's just their version of a bus. Yeah, it's a (laughs) whale that's just armored, isn't it? At first, I thought it was like this biomech alien thing, but the Hulk shows up. Punches one in the face, great scene, and the, it kind of curls up and the skin's exposed, so Tony starts shooting it, so it's really just a armored whale that could float. I couldn't tell whether it was organic or metal. I couldn't tell if it was a ship or not. It moves so much like an animal, and we've established that these aliens are flesh with metal masks and thing. I just took it to mean that underneath all of that was some kind of animal we never got a good look at. Yeah, these aliens, I do wish they were more well-defined. At the moment, they are just cannon fodder. They are endless And the thing about them, they have as much personality as a swarm of killer bees, but they're also as deadly just through pure quantity. Yes. This is a movie about heroes. That's not a bad thing to do. God knows we don't need this to be longer. But yes, something to let us know what these aliens want with Earth. They made a deal with Loki that they'll defeat the Earth so he could be their king and he'll give them the Tesseract. Okay, so Loki wants to be here. They don't want to be. Right. (laughs) Maybe that's why they suck. They sent like all their F troops out to fight Loki. (laughs) Yeah, they might have sent the sea squad i gotta say when the door opens though and that whole portal happens i was going to reverse a review i was going to turn a red arrow green if they had a duck on a lazy board (laughs) i would have recommend it would have been worth sitting through howard the duck for that joke i literally thought they were going to do that for a second I didn't even think about that, but that would have been... Oh, I was thinking about Dark Overlords when they were coming down. That would have been a great post credit scene. You see Howard flying through space connected to that laser. (laughs) Can't do it in the real movie, but maybe it it would have justified everything. I would have forgiven it. And in the midst of all these fights, again, I feel like Iron Man is so powerful, he has to go fight the big serpent. Captain America, Black Widow, and Hawkeye, they're just taking out the foot troops and Thor he's after Loki again it's a evenly matched thing and it's the fight that has the weight because again the brothers fighting it's reminded me of the fight on the Bifrost Bridge only a lot better like you guys called out Loki's much tougher here. You guys said in the last one that it didn't feel like much of a fight, Thor versus Loki. You can't say that that doesn't feel like it here. They have fixed it, yes. And I believe is all Whedon on this. This is direction. He is allowing the same actors who had a very lame-ass fight to do it right this time. Take two. Yeah, I totally buy it. If this is a Thor movie, I'm loving this movie. Yeah, we can only hope that they're taking tips and figuring out what to do when Thor 2 comes out next year. You say Captain America's doing nothing, but I do see him starting to step up in a leadership role. He's giving commands and not getting back sass. People respect his ability to run a team. He did that in World War II. He knows how to do operations. He is not the toughest. There's no way that he can compete on a physical level with Hulk and Thor. So he's limited by being a human. But he is still 
their leader because he's got the military smarts that none of them have. He knows what it is to be on a team and knows how to run one. Tony even turns the reins over to him. He's like, you're our leader. Tell us what to do. And I love it. He gets to Bruce Banner and just tells him, smash. Yeah, because Bruce shows up on the moped and shows, like we said, he can control the Hulk. He's always angry. That was the only time I hate, not that I don't think of you, Stuart, but that was the only time the whole movie I'm like, oh, Stuart got what he wanted. I was <laughs> applauding inside for you, Stuart. I knew you would just be pleased as punch there. I just feel validated. I do feel avenged, if you were. <laughs> I actually just felt like, oh, shit, Stuart's not going to let me live this one down. <laughs> Uh-uh, rewind the tapes, it's all there. I told you it was going to make it work. It worked. Right actor, right way of implementing him, and this stuff is dynamo. I'm not sure that I will go with a Hulk movie or a Hulk TV show, but by having him as the secret weapon here, when they unleash him and he's tearing up the buildings and all that, I love it. And when he gets that extra jab in at Thor... The audience was roaring. Best joke of the movie. As the two of them have teamed up, fighting a bunch of these aliens, and they get them taken care of, and they're both standing there and they're posing it. It's like a panel from a comic, right? They're just in these heroic poses, and then, like in a Donkey Kong move, Hulk just sucker punches Thor. This got the second biggest laugh in the film. The biggest laugh, the biggest reaction from the crowd is when Hulk goes after Loki and just picks him up by the feet. It's like a Looney Tunes cartoon and just pummels into the ground repeatedly. Like, the the audience lost it then. It's great because of the dialogue. He's like, I'm a god, you dull creature. And boom. (laughs) People were screaming so loudly, but I thought Hulk said what? Puny god? I couldn't hear the line over the roar of the audience and the spastic, seizure-like convulsions of the large man a few seats down. But, Stuart, you said this is a question about poker games and everyone has a boss. And I think it's also, again, about the weapons versus people. The overlords on the monitors decide to nuke Manhattan. Isn't this just out of, like, what, outbreak? Isn't that one of the decisions they make? I feel I've seen this before. To me, it's the return of the living dead solution. I'm like, oh, okay. I agree with you. Not that it's original. It's a shocker to anyone who thinks that S.H.I.E.L.D. is still going to redeem itself. S.H.I.E.L.D. are some MFs here. I gotta say, you don't really like them. At the end of the day, yeah, they're developing weapons of mass destruction, and they're flying around around, unmonitored, unaccountable to any country, they are out of control. And it's okay to dislike them and still be under the umbrella of the Avengers. That's what I really like about this, is that they found a way for us to love the Avengers without having to necessarily love this organization. Because anybody whose solution is to fire a nuke and destroy New York City because they don't trust the people they've hired to do their job... Well, I'm not going to like them. It really does turn you against that S.H.I.E.L.D. organization, but it gives Nick Fury his best moment to run around with a bazooka. It's like he's always trying to stop vehicles from leaving, though. I just wish that they had hired David Hasselhoff to be one of the talking heads. Then I would have really hated him. I don't know if you're really turning against S.H.I.E.L.D. because they're all kind of ticked off that they're trying to stop this plane from taking off. It's really the shadowy figures you should be disliking. I just don't like the fake out here. Nick Fury runs out. He shoots down the plane. Oops, well, there's two planes taking off, actually. 
You didn't like that? No, I felt that was a cheap trick. It gave Nick Fury the one thing he does in this movie. He actually got something accomplished. No, he didn't. He shot down the wrong... He's, <laughs> he, what, there's only going to be one nuke shot at Manhattan instead of two now? I liked it as a fake out, though. It gave Fury his moment while still allowing the nuke to be launched. Everyone gets a moment. It's really important to recognize the juggling act that Josh Whedon has done as a scriptwriter. Even though I don't know that I always celebrate him as a joke writer, I think that what he has done is he has thought every time he is telling a scene, what is everyone else going to do? And he answers it in the next scene. There is nobody that drops out of the picture. We've seen other team-up movies. Let's be honest. X-Men is nothing but the same thing. There's probably even more characters in that than certainly was in The Last Stand. But those people come and they go and they have unsatisfying arcs and they get forgotten and really only popular characters remain in your mind. Here, everyone gets their due. Even a non-entity like Fury or, or Hawkeye. Hawkeye, yeah. I feel like everyone can cheer. If you're the one that's wearing that Hawkeye shirt, you will get to cheer at some point in this. V1. <laughs> I agree. What I impresses me the most, when it comes to the Avengers, this team, there isn't one that really sticks out. Everyone does get their moment. They feel like a team. I mean, the fact that I'm such a big Black Widow fan after this, and not just because of the outfit, because she is such an active character that she does do so much. And she's in the same movie with the Hulk and Iron Man and Thor and Captain America, and she's still a standout character. That's saying something. This is why I think it had to be Whedon. It's not because of his nerd knowledge or his comic book knowledge or any of that. That's all very helpful. But there's a lot of people that can do that. He is a TV showrunner. He doesn't think in terms of movies. And that's helpful here. I mean, a movie writer would think about what am I trying to say with this script and I'll have all these characters support that theme. He's thinking, I'm on a big old show, I have all these characters, and I have to give them something to do. And he never lets any of them get away without doing something cool. You need a showrunner to run Avengers. And that's why I think he really was the right person to write and direct this. And he does it better here than he has anywhere else, with the exception of possibly Buffy. And Buffy, it was a TV series. He could rotate episode to episode. I've seen Serenity the movie. Some of the favorite characters from the series get dropped in that movie. I've seen Alien Resurrection. Hold it. Well, you gotta pay ten bucks for that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But here, I will say, it's his best act so far. With this number of characters, Cabin in the Woods did great, but far fewer people. This is expertly balanced, but I couldn't be more shocked to go back to your Black Widow statement, Jacob, than when Black Widow gets a boost from Cap to go after the Tesseract. I'm like, yes. whoa! <laughs> Up to this point, everybody's been fighting in their class. Everybody's found the enemy that matches them. It reminded me of the old DC Justice League of America, where it was the Legion of Doom versus the Justice League, and the Flash would always go up against the slow guy, and Superman had Bizarro. They always had the one that matched their powers to fight at the end. And that's what this movie had done. So when she decides, nah, I'm gonna level up now, I'm like, holy crap! And I love it. I know I'm in the minority here, but I'm getting exhausted. I know that that's the point, but I'm getting exhausted. It does get to be quite a bit, but I'm not exhausted. I am wondering, when the nuke is coming and everything, and the aliens are attacking, am I the only one who's wondering why Tony isn't like, hey, Rhodey, you free for a few minutes? I could use a hand. 
I forgot. I'd never thought about Rhodey in all of this, but yeah, that would have been helpful. It might have been a fun recall. He's probably hanging out in L.A. In, at the Malibu house. <laughs> with the two girls that Tony hooked him up with. Well, they do at least give him a moment with Pepper. I thought that was something I wouldn't have expected. A character moment in the middle of all of this stuff. He does think when he realizes he has to be the one to take the missile into the alien world, he's probably not going to come back from that. And so it's time to say goodbye to Pepper. Uh, why did they make it such a big point that he's calling Pepper? She never answered. Was it just to show that he's out of range now when he goes into space? He's thinking about other people. I think that's the theme. He's thinking about other people. He ignored Coulson's background. He's a self-serving jerk now that he's in a relationship he's starting to realize it's about more than him i think it was important i just wish she'd answered the phone it's like god they just had gwyneth on set for such a short time they couldn't even get some dialogue of her on the phone with them that was the wrong choice for iron man to be the one making the sacrifice of all the avengers there i knew iron man was not going to die i honestly thought the person who should have Ben, the one we think is going to die, is Thor, because if he dies, well, he's a god. He'll show up on Asgard again. It happened with Loki. But with Iron Man going, there is no tension as he flies through there. And they're like, you're never coming back until next May for the sequel. No, but here's the thing. I believed he was going to get trapped there, and that's where Iron Man 3 would start. I thought it would actually be about getting him back. Arnie, they set this up during that tent scene on the helicarrier where him and Captain America are going back and forth. Cap calls him out. He says, you'll never put yourself on the line for anything. You'll never sacrifice yourself. Yes, it's another quick line, but I feel it set it up where we have to see that sacrificial moment from Iron Man where he puts the others above him because that is his arc is that he's not a team player, that he cares about himself. So now, sure, we come in this with meta knowledge that there's an Iron Man 3. It doesn't make it believable, but for the storytelling, that's what they needed to do. You're absolutely right. It's what he's supposed to learn. I was just kind of happy to see the suit in space finally. You know, they dropped hints that it could go into space. Well, we get to see a little bit of what, how it would hold up, and the answer is not very well. I took the suit shut down as he was cut off from Jarvis that far away. And without Jarvis, mm. then the suit doesn't run. I mean, the whole thing is powered by computer, and it's not stored there. It's got to be connected to the mainframe. Why close the door? You know, the other team members are standing there. They feel like they have to shut it. What, is the nuclear fallout going to come through? What's the thought? The day after I saw Avengers, my house flooded. <laughs> it was raining, and water was coming in everywhere, just like these aliens out of the sky. All I wanted to do was stop the water from coming. So I think they thought it was stopping the flow of the aliens in. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, I get that. I, yeah, they don't need another worm slipping in here. But they all blew up anyway, or most of them. I mean, we'll find out that the missile really took care of the whole invasion. Oh, God. Whedon must be a big fan of one Independence Day. Or Phantom Menace. That's the other one. I'm like, lucky the nuke hit the droid control ship. This ending is bullcrap. They never set this up. Are they robots now controlled by a ship? This is dumb. I hate this. It is, I'd be fine with destroying their ship, sent them a blow. I'd be fine with, now their ships may not even work, the same way Iron Man's suit didn't work across the way. Maybe without that ship, their gliders don't work and we're able to round them up. I hate, oh, we lost our ship, we're now just all going to fall over dead, because that's night and neat. It is neat. I mean that in that it's clean. Yeah. It cuts it all off. We don't have to worry about, oh, we think it's done and then more badly. I mean, we need to know that the war is over and having everyone fall down does it. Just set it up, though. 
isn't that the case with so many things in this movie? That's the case with the scepter. Yeah. It's the case yeah. with these aliens. It's the case with how Thor got back. A single dropped line could fix all these things. Instead, we're sitting here scratching our head because they didn't put it in because the movie's already 220. They don't want it to be 230. Yeah, for all we know, there are answers to all of this in deleted scenes, but that judicious choices were made in the editing room to say, this is what's going to play best to people as they watch and experience the movie. If you want answers to these more minute problems, they'll probably come in the supplemental material of a DVD. But Iron Man, yes, he falls back through just at the last minute. We knew he would. And then we get more great Downey if you thought that Downey wasn't good enough. Now all he wants to do is take the gang out for some shawarma. Third biggest laugh out of the audience. You know, Tony's laying there. They rip the mask off. We think he's dead. I don't know how you give CPR to a guy with no heart and in an iron suit. And then the Hulk just starts roaring, and that's what brings him back. (laughs) Nobody kissed me, did they? That got a big reaction, that the whole resuscitating him. So at the end, we get this montage of New Yorkers reacting to what's just happened. And we finally get our Stan Lee cameo. I, I was paying attention the whole time. I'm like, did I miss it? Did I miss it? And then like 10 seconds before the end of this film, he's doing a little blur. Superheroes in New York. Ah, what a bunch of hooey. That's funny because he's the one who put superheroes in New York. The best part for me is I was so into this movie. I never once thought Stan Lee should be in it. I think I read beforehand that Stan Lee's cameo was going to be at the beginning of the movie, so I don't know if this was another cut scene or if it was always intended to be here, but it was a nice cherry on top of the Sunday, you know? It's like, ah, Stan, that old familiar presence, happy to see you here at the end in the denouement, and glad that they gave him lines that worked for him without actually needing him to act. And then the movie just kind of ends. Thor takes Loki and the Tesseract back to Asgard because they did such a good job of protecting it last time. Is he Hannibal now? (laughs) Why do they cover his mouth up so he can't whisper (laughs) mischievous lies? He's got that evil tongue. Everything he says is screwing somebody over, right? Yeah, why take chances letting him talk? Nothing good ever comes from him talking to people. Yeah. I'm glad that they got the Tesseract thing answered. They've solved the problem of S.H.I.E.L.D. They can continue to go work for S.H.I.E.L.D. because S.H.I.E.L.D. won't be developing those weapons of mass destruction. And it leaves Fury as the good guy. Yes. He was the one that was right. They were wrong. They fired a missile. Didn't need to. He had it all under control. Mostly. And I love that now he's kind of pulling the puppet strings. He's let the Avengers all go. He's not telling them where they are. They've kind of gone back to their own lives so they could be in their own separate sequels until they need to be assembled. I think that's a wise choice, not only because you're going to make a lot more money by doing spinoffs before they can pull together Avengers 2, but I like the idea of thinking that these people aren't so together that they're friends now. They're not going to hang out. They're not going to have a unified front and see the eye to eye on all conflicts. They came together for very specific reasons, for the biggest reasons. They will come together when Earth is at stake. Not for all their many other little more puny battles. Not for whiplash, not not for abomination. No. Yeah, I feel like, yeah, you're on your own for those guys. And best of luck to you for patching it up with Natalie Portman and all that. I don't <laughs> think that they're going to be involved in each other's lives, except in, you know, one or two. I think that they'll work in a cameo here and there or a new character. Marvel Universe will keep expanding. But I think that they have set themselves up in a way that is plausible why they can have adventures beyond 
the Avengers. And I've been reading on some of their plans. They've been talking a lot about this because that's the question asked most often to Kevin Feige, who is the producer of all these films, is how can any threat just be a problem now? Iron Man could just call up, hey, Cap, need some help. But they are taking great pains. What they've teased is in Iron Man 3, they're putting Tony in a situation where he is cut off from everything. May not be parallel dimension cut off, but he's cut off. Thor is back in Asgard doing his Asgard thing. Stay there. Please keep the whole movie there. No, Jane's coming back somehow. Maybe Jane gets Uh. to go to Asgard this time. Maybe it's like Crocodile Dundee 2. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Thank God. Yes. Yeah, she gets to go to Australia this time. That's a good idea. I actually like that idea. She's <laughs> off the cuff, but I'm for that. And Cap, because Cap is the character who is hardest because he doesn't have a home to return to. Mm. The next Cap film is going to be the one that picks up right after Avengers, he's still with S.H.I.E.L.D. He lives with S.H.I.E.L.D. He's in the S.H.I.E.L.D. dorm. And it will be him finally getting a chance to deal with the man out of time. All this has happened so quickly, he hasn't had time to adjust. He hasn't had time to look up Carter. But I have a feeling that'll all be stuff, since they wanted to do it here, that'll be in Cap 2. But if Cap will be the next movie to really focus on S.H.I.E.L.D. The big shock is Hulk. You know, this movie has been out in everywhere else but the U.S. for quite some time, and the audiences are saying what we said, Hulk smash, and people asked right away, is Hulk going to come back on his own? Is Hulk going to come back on his own? And they're all like, no, there are no plans to bring the Hulk back on his own. We tried that. He seems to work better as a team, but the response has been so long and so sustained Now they're like, well, there's a slot open in 2015, and we do have Ruffalo signed for six. And Ruffalo hasn't pissed on anybody's shoes in corporate offices, so... I don't think he has any ambitions to write the script. (laughs) So we may even get to see Hulk smash once again, and they said he will stay in control and be more heroic. Now you really do want to see it, Stuart. You could say whatever you want, but I know you want to see it now. It's confirming everything you've dreamed of. You know, it's not a fantasy of mine, but it, it, yes, I'm down with this Hulk. Absolutely. So credits roll, and then we get our credit scene, mid-credits, that reveals Thanos is the one behind the Chitari, telling, honestly, even me nothing. This was what's funny. My wife watched the Superhero Squad TV show, so she's like, Thanos! I'm like, doesn't he have like an infinity gauntlet? I think I own a figure of him somewhere, but I don't know much about this dude. There's a line that plays in my head whenever I see an ending like this. You'll appreciate it, I think. It's not from our world, is it, Mrs. Yutani? You know, I just feel like sometimes you get so specific that really the end joke is so inside that it really just leaves the outsider cold. I I don't get it. I don't want to get it. I'd rather be in my car driving away if this was the surprise ending you were going to give me at the end. It does get me hyped to find out who he is and why he is. And I don't think they're teasing Iron Man 3 with that. I don't think they're teasing Ant-Man, which is what I was expecting. No. They are teasing Avengers 2, which I like. But 
God, who knows if that will happen, if Downey will come back for it. They feel like a better version of Men in Black. It feels like, ultimately, Avengers are the people that are going to fight extraterrestrial battles. And so, yes, it makes sense that there's something else out there in space. Of course there is. That's even worse or, or something. You know, I'll find out about it in 2015 or whenever they can pull this together. But it was kind of a lame ending. I don't think this reveal means anything to people like you, Stuart. It, mm-hmm. This is for the inside crowd. It's to get them to go to the internet so they geek out. So even if they've had problems throughout the film, well, damn, they just saw Thanos and now they're really excited for that next one. But then after that, there's the post-credits credit scene. Best post-credits scene ever. <laughs> this was filmed after the premiere, when the Avengers had assembled at the premiere. It was big news. They were all whisked away to be filmed for another scene, and everyone thought it was Ant-Man. Everybody, because Edgar Wright tweeted something about being behind the camera for the first time. He's been the one rumored to do Ant-Man. Everybody thought that this was going to be an Ant-Man teaser. No, it's the gang right after the fight, before they disassembled, just sitting there silent eating shawarma. I love that they never say a word, and that's what sells the comedy here. They look so (laughs) tired and beat up, and they're just sitting there. And the place is trashed from the war. Yeah, the guy's like, because I'm trying to figure out, like, where this is supposed to be taking place, and one of the employees is, like, sweeping up, like, debris everywhere. I'm like, okay, this is right after the fight. And it goes on for a while. It's pretty funny. Yeah, the longer it goes, the funnier it is. You see, Black, of course, Marjorie leads over to me. She's like, Black Widow doesn't eat carbs. <laughs> so we said we all saw this in 3D. I actually only saw it in 3D the first time. The rest have been in 2D. And I don't know if my experience was indicative of the film. I thought the 3D was terrible, just flat, horrible. But a friend of mine who I went with told me after the movie, he popped out to use the restroom and went in the wrong theater and said other theaters looked far better. And so he started doing some analysis. One of our lenses was out of focus on the projector in our theater. And so everything was a little fuzzy. There was no depth to anything. Was it like that for you guys or was it good 3D? I saw this on IMAX 3D. It's a special theater where they say they enhance the brightness of 3D so it's not as dark. This did look brighter than most 3D movies I've seen. I don't know. I I guess 3D just doesn't impress me much. It was crisp. It was clear. There is depth, but nothing screamed to me that. And I guess unless you like that depth of field in your movies, which I don't really need, uh, it was adequate 3D. I can only think of a few times where it actually enhanced the story. You know, Scarlet drawing her gun on Hulk being one of them. There are moments where it comes into play and you go, ah, 3D, this is a nice flourish. But ultimately, I'm with Jacob. It is superfluous to the enjoyment of the movie itself. I thought that it was well done for post-conversion, but it's really all about how much money you want to spend and how much you love the trick. It's a gimmick to me. And they were going to shoot in 3D. Whedon was all set up to shoot in 3D. The studios had been pushing him for it. They told him, oh no, 3D cameras these days, they're far easier than they were. You're able to set up shots much quicker and everything. Well, Whedon directed that post-credit scene of Thor, and it was shot in 3D, even though the rest of Thor was post-converted. And apparently, just that one little shot of Nick Fury and Selvig took so long 
long and had so many problems with the camera and headaches and delays because of the 3D camera and the 3D tech. He's like, I cannot make a film like this. I'm going back. We're going to do it in 2D because otherwise we're just not going to meet the deadlines. Probably wise. At the end of the day, better to make the release date than to have a traditional 3D experience. I think only Avatar has been an experience that I felt was enhanced, or 3D animation. I think that's where it really excels. Live-action 3D, it just doesn't do it for me. So, Jacob Stewart, do you recommend Marvel's The Avengers, so that we don't get it confused with Irma Thurman and Ray Fiennes? Jacob all I remember about that Avengers film is some people dressed as gummy bears or something. Yeah. <laughs> so let me talk about this Marvel one. Stuart, I think you nailed it for me. You, you kept bringing up poker. And I remember when we were talking about X-Men, we were talking about chess and the sophistication and these deep themes. This is something different. This is a different superhero film. This is light and airy. They sometimes get into the realm of some heavier themes, but then they quickly pull away to get to the explosions. And I'm not totally opposed to that here. There's enough going on in this film that I want that action. I'm not going to come to a film with Hulk and Thor and Iron Man and all these characters and want a serious ethical debate. Sometimes the light and breezy, the pop culture way is the way to go here. You know, I said that with X-Men 3. It was this pop version of the X-Men where it was get to the action, get to the fights, have a lot of characters. And that's not necessarily a bad thing as long as there's enough story there to support the beautiful graphics, the beautiful explosions, the beautiful fights. And there's enough story here. There's a lot of holes. This could have been a much better story, better characterization for these aliens that just show up. You've heard us talk about the weaker parts of this film, but this screenplay that Whedon put together, it really surprised me how well it worked. This doesn't seem like an Iron Man film. This doesn't seem like a Hulk film, a Thor film. This is a Thor film and a Hulk film that I really enjoyed, but it's also a Black Widow film that I really enjoyed, which I had no idea that that would be happening. So I don't think this is a work that transcends genre, but I think this, when it comes to the superhero action field genre, it is that top of the game. It, it, it's up there. Recommend. Stuart. I'll tell you. I feel kind of like the designated driver at the high school graduation kegger. I'm not the comic book guy. I'm pretty much on record at this point. This is not my genre. These are not my peeps. This is a tremendous movie for comic book geeks. I predict that if you love the comic book world, this is probably the best realization of it. It is translated what's on the page in the most real way. It's the most faithful. And thus, I'm predicting most people would call this their favorite Marvel movie. I don't want to ruin your good buzz, but I do think you're a little drunk. I do think that this movie is an excellent juggling act, but I do feel that if you're not a comic book person, it's not going to convert you. I'm seeing things that other people don't. They've had too much to drink. They're just enjoying the ride. I'm seeing the problem, which is a very weak villain, a downplaying of their star character, Tony Stark. I don't think he really comes through here in the way that he should. And for me, I don't think it's nearly as funny as it thinks it is. And I think that I'm having a more muted enjoyment, certainly than anyone else in the audience. It was a good, solid B movie. But yeah, kind of what you hinted at, Jacob. I like my comic characters to take on themes. I kind of want 
a great movie. I don't think this is a great movie. I think it is a great time for people that want to see comic book people in a movie. But I do feel like there are better Marvel movies out there. I'm going to give it a recommend. Absolutely. Let me be clear. This is a recommendable movie for any level. If you've never seen a comic book movie, go ahead and see it. But I do feel like it's going to be an exponentially better time the more into comic books you are. And, you know, I'm not the fan. So... That only means a recommend. On the mild side, but don't get me wrong, I'm recommending it. Well, I'm not quite sure how to say this, because I went in so built up. But Stuart, I am the comic book fan, and I see those flaws. Oh. I saw every one of them. And maybe it's because we've spent the past year more immersed in superheroes than most of the diehard comic fans. Oh my god! You are not going to wreck this movie and I did. Tell me No, come on. He's pulling a Black Widow here. (laughs) It has to be. I mean, my god. I was! Damn it! I was trying to Black Widow you. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Arnie. You don't have the ass to pull it off. No, I'm sorry. I'm like, I just can't be happening. For a half second, I was like, was there any indication that he was not going to go with this movie but okay i'm sorry please continue but i mean everything i said just like black widow i may may have been playing it up for you to think something but everything i say is true maybe because we've been swimming in the sea of super for over a year that i've seen its highs i've seen its lows specifically marvel I do agree with you. I see some comments online, both on our Facebook page and our forums, and just my friends. I see the phrase, best superhero movie ever, repeated again and again and again. And I'm like, no, no, it's not. It's really good. It's very fun. Best superhero movie ever? It's no Iron Man. No. It's no X-Men First Class. It's no kick-ass. It's funny. It's fun. It's exciting. But it's got flaws. You said it's a B, Stuart. I'm going to give it an A-. minus, couple notches above you. But it's not a perfect movie. But I am having a great time watching this movie. And I've seen it several times, and I will see it again before it leaves theaters. And I will buy the Blu-ray, and it will be a heavy rotation on my Apple TV. It is a fun movie that improves the more I see it. And I believe structurally, it is a marvel. It is astounding the juggling act that Whedon pulls off, and not once do his balls drop. But while I can really respect the things it did, I feel like what it lacked was character evolution. I loved seeing these characters come together. The team evolved. But when these characters return to their own sequels, I don't feel any of them have changed for what has happened to them here. I don't really see Iron Man deciding he's going to call Pepper as that big of a jump from when he kissed her like two seals fighting over a grape on the roof. I feel like... What is lacking, and when you bring up these X-Men and your recommends, what this film is lacking in those regards is that personal evolution that the X-Men films had. At the end of every X-Men film, people had changed. At the end of The Avengers, we were back to the status quo. That's slightly disappointing. It makes me think of this movie as cotton candy. And it's good. It's real good. But it's not perfect, and so I'm being harder in my recommend statement just to temper some of the outrageous excitement I'm seeing. 
It's not like I'm sitting here, though. This is no Spider-Man 3. I'm not like, oh, my God, what have I done? I've ordered so many toys. No, (laughs) I'm really happy to still play with my toys. And it is a great continuation of this series. But I'm hoping Avengers 2 is going to be like Superman 2 and several other part 2s. We had our team origin story. We got them assembled. Now let's really do something. And maybe Thanos is what they can do with it. So a very solid recommend. And that's three for three. I'm just glad, man, a year plus of this and and in a recommend. Yes, I know. It would have been really crushing to end on something where any of us didn't like it. It's been building up. We talked about all these films building up to the Avengers. One of the common debates in the comic book world is when you get these big crossover events. It's hard to get new readers to sit down with those crossovers. You have to have all this continuity, know what's going on to really enjoy it, to really get it. Do you think this is a standalone film? Can someone who has never seen these other Marvel movies come in and still enjoy this? Yes, I think everyone can get something out of this movie. I think your enjoyment is going to be enriched the deeper you go into the Marvel Universe, and thus, it's kind of like Yu-Gi-Oh cards or something. Like, the more you buy, the better you can play. And I think that's the idea, is yes, they're not only hooking you to go back and watch all the other movies, they're hooking you to read the comics, and they're tailoring the comics so that they will resemble this movie world that you have just been introduced. It is an in, and to really grab you to selling their whole store. I think it works. I don't think you are going to get all the nuances, but the plot really isn't driven by the nuances. I think that you can, because the characters like Hulk, Hulk is in the public consciousness. I'd say Iron Man is also after his big movie. I think they just assume that even if you haven't seen Iron Man 2 or the last Incredible Hulk film, you know who these characters are. Captain America also. Thor is a little bit more of a hard sell, but there's enough dialogue and exposition here to bring you up to speed. And the more hard-to-grasp characters like Black Widow and Hawkeye, well, even though we've seen them before, this is really the first time they're featured anyway. So yes, I think that you can see this without having seen any or all of the others. But let me turn this question around on you guys. Do you feel your experience was enriched? Did this make the journey, including the not recommends, worth it? Yeah, I think it was worth the journey. You know, I think those were all effective standalone films. Maybe some people might think Thor, Captain America were more prequels for this film. But I think those were all films you could enjoy if they're your type of film, whether or not I recommended them. They were films that worked as standalone films. And now seeing these characters come together in Avengers. Yeah, I think this is a good payoff for working through those ones. Are we talking about just these official Marvel movies or all 40-something? Yeah, I took it as just the official ones. I'm talking just the official ones, but you can answer to both. The Man-Thing make it... (laughs) Did this make it worth Man-Thing? No. I really do think Man-Thing makes everything awful. I mean, if... (laughs) Those are some of the worst. I mean, truly. When I think about some of the really bad times, some of those Hulk TV movies, Generation X, Man-Thing, I didn't like that 2004 Punisher, the Wolverine. There's a lot of stuff here that leaves a really acrid taste in my mouth. But 
looking at just the Marvel experience, none of them are bad, bad movies. I did Dog Thor, and I said was it was a mild not recommend because I liked charming characters, even though they were giving substandard material. I stand by that. I think the Thor script was insufficient. It did not belong with the other movies. Incredible Hulk? I thought it was very consistent. Actually, probably the most consistent movie. It was consistently mediocre. It didn't excite me. But Captain America, Iron Man 2, Avengers, the original Iron Man, absolutely. I think you have to see them all if you're going to make the commitment. I don't think any of them negatively contribute overall to the enjoyment of Avengers. I would say it's worth the journey to ride the six films. If you're inclined to. If you're not a comic book fan, I would say stick to the ones called Iron Man or have Iron Man in them. That would be, you know, the two Iron Man and Avengers. But if you want to know what's going on, the more you watch these movies, the more you'll learn. I mean, I've definitely come away from my Marvel experience feeling like I've learned a lot. Even with the silly ones I didn't like, I feel like I understand the universe and how expansive it is. And for me, I recommended every film in the official Marvel Comics Avengers universe. And so, of course, I feel the journey is worth it. I can't believe, though, first of all, a series that has been so consistently good that I recommend it. This is, I think, the only series of this length where there's not an installment that I have to get past and be like, yeah, that was a bump in the road. The worst bump in the road was Iron Man 2, which is just a crack after a bad winter. It's not bad at all. I think that this movie is improved by the journey. I think the previous films are improved in the glow of this. I think what you said, Jacob, about you're glad now that you watched Thor. Yeah, you may not recommend Thor on its own, but like Stuart just did, he recommends seeing these films because knowing the characters in this light improves their backstory and makes you more invested in the characters. I think that Iron Man 1 is the best of this series, but I think Avengers is number two. So I think that it's a very strong series, and the more you invest in it, the bigger your returns. As for the rest of the Marvel stuff, I honestly think that our opinions are more well-formed having watched Fantastic Four and... Blade and yeah, I can make jokes when I see things that remind me of ducks and coming through portals. Yes, it does help. The question is whether all knowledge is good. That I'm not sure. <laughs> but it was informative to see all the films, and they did enrich the experience of watching the real film. That said, I only need to go back to the X Men and these guys. I feel like everything else. I didn't recommend them. I'm glad I didn't. I stand by what I said. To me, they're all marginal films to be watched by people that can't get enough of comic book characters. I don't know that if you don't have an appetite for it, gorging on it is going to make you feel good. You say that, and once that Doctor Strange film comes out, though, you'll get excited. (laughs) I am. I'm excited. And I want to stress this. I'm excited that they aren't just going to do Avengers again and again. I feel like they'd like to, because it's probably going to be the most profitable one. And it's probably where a lot of people's heads are at right now. Why go back to a single film? But I liken this to, like, travel. There's something that I love. You know, I, I don't love comic books, but I love travel. Avengers is a cruise. 
Yeah, you see a lot of different ports, but you only spend a couple hours in each. It's not like staying in the country and spending the time with them. You know, a good movie really gives you something extra. I want Iron Man 2. I want the standalone Doctor Strange movie. I think they're at their best when they're not thinking about creating a universe, but creating a good movie like Iron Man. Well, at the moment, we don't know where Avengers will fall box office-wise, but we haven't still hit the two biggest box office superheroes of all time. Who's the other one? Number one is Batman. Oh, yes. And number two, the last Marvel hero on our leg, Jacob, don't die. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I got to keep staying alive. I mean, we still got Batman and now we got Spider-Man. I got to keep living, laying off the cheeseburgers. I got to keep a Hulk in Texas to roar at you (laughs) just in case you die. (laughs) But yes, Iron Man is the fifth Highest grossing comic book adaptation ever, but Spider-Man holds places two through four, and Batman is number one. So starting next week, let's go visit the Dark Knight for a while. And let me tell you, once we get to Nolan, I ain't the designated driver anymore. Show me the (laughs) You got the bong. You got that beer bong taking it down. I'm ready to party when we get to Dark Knight Rises. I am on board. Hand over the keys. I'll be driving that show. Uh Uh-oh. Maybe not for Dark Knight, but Batman Begins and maybe Dark Knight Rises because I'm hearing people saying... The Dark Knight Rises trailer was better than the Avengers movie. I don't know what trailer they saw or what movie they saw, because that is not my boat. Fight, 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 fight. I sense our team is going to have some acrimony in the weeks to come, but that's kind of a good thing. I think we are at our best when we're making our stand. Well, then we were really good on Alien 3. (laughs) And Alien 4. If you haven't got enough Whedon in your life you got to find $10 and donate because we're covering his scripted Alien Resurrection this coming Friday. Our donation series for Alien still goes on, and I think it's really one of our finest series. I really hope that you guys can participate. It's been a lot of fun for me to go crazy about Aliens. And that includes the upcoming film Prometheus. I've got to say, Avengers is in the running for my favorite film of this year, but there's three films coming, and we're doing all of them for now playing that could compete there's amazing spider-man there's dark knight rises and there's prometheus all of them look so phenomenal but prometheus is part of our alien donation retrospective you can find all the details by clicking the banner at the top of our homepage at nowplayingpodcast.com and if you donate 25 dollars or more There's three extra podcasts in addition to all four Alien movies and Prometheus. We do the Steven Spielberg Alien movies of E.T., Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and War of the Worlds. They may seem disparate, but E.T. was intended to be a sequel to Close Encounters, and we go into detail on that in those podcasts. Again, all the details at nowplayingpodcast.com. All right, we need to do something big, guys. It's our last hurrah. I think we should tell them. We're not doing another year-plus series, are we? Well, close. Why not? You know, compared to Marvel, it's actually very, very modest. But yet, it's also far more consistent. We don't go from flying ducks to homicidal cops to stretchy dudes. We just have one man with a tuxedo, a martini, and a license to kill. 
You guessed it. Those that have been on our forums predicting that we were going to do Bond, that's what we got to do. It's his 50th anniversary in movies, and we're going to celebrate it by covering all 26 movies in the series, including the new Skyfall. That's the rest of our 2012 James Bond. Yes, we will be starting that after we get through with Batman. I'm looking forward to it. You know, I'm not the super fan on that. Brock is the super fan. He'll be on that podcast with us. He's a 007 fanatic. But I grew up with the movies. I've seen them all. And yes, I will be reading the books. Books and Nachos fans. I will cover the original Ian Fleming works as well. And I'm kind of the newbie. I've seen most of these films. I don't know if I've ever seen the Lazenbury one. But... I saw them all in, like, a TNT marathon, so I know there's Boats and Voodoo and Octopussy, but I couldn't tell you in which movie which one has which. It's it's all a blur. I got a hint for you. Octopussy has Octopussy. Octopussy. <laughs> It'll be an experience for me to see these films as separate entities and not one large caffeine-fueled blur. So there it is. That's the rest of 2012. We will have a donation series, but I think we'll hold off on revealing that one just yet. All I'll say is, for those who like us to do horror, well, Bond is kind of filling the rest of our year, but we'll be doing some horror in the fall. But what is it? We'll tell you in a few weeks. So, Jacob Stewart, thank you for joining me tonight. The past six weeks, over a year for close to 40 podcasts of Marvel. We'll be back next week with Batman. And until then, I'm going to go to theaters one more time to watch the Avengers Assemble! And there came a day day unlike any other, when Earth's mightiest heroes found themselves united against a common threat, to fight the foes no single superhero could withstand. On that day, the Avengers were born. Thank you for listening to this episode of the now-playing Avengers Retrospective Series. We're adjourned. We're adjourned for the day. Okay. You've been a delight. Part of our Marvel Comics Movie Retrospective Series. This is a whole new level of weird. I don't feel inclined to step away from it. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week as we review another movie based on the Marvel Comics through the release of The Avengers this May. Your work has impressed a lot of people who are much smarter than I am. And be sure to visit Venganza Media Gazette at VenganzaMedia.com forward slash gazette to read Arnie's reviews of every episode of the Incredible Hulk TV series. A new review is posted every day. God bless you, brother. While at NowPlayingPodcast.com, go to our archives where you can find reviews of other Marvel Comics movie series such as X-Men, The Fantastic Four, Blade, and Punisher. Plus, reviews of The Avengers' early works, like the Bill Bixby Incredible Hulks movies and the Captain America TV movies. Good luck keeping up. We also have non-comic-based movie reviews, such as Star Trek, Terminator, Halloween, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Tron, and many more. Guys, I'm bringing the party to you. 
You will also find individual movie reviews such as Green Lantern, Cowboys and Aliens, Avatar, and Scott Pilgrim vs. The World. We made this thing, all of us. Please. While at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums where you can discuss this show with other listeners. Here we remain as a beacon of hope, shining out across the stars. You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where the hosts post new episode announcements and written movie reviews. You've seen what he becomes, right? I have. And it's beautiful. Godlike. The links to our social media pages can be found at NowPlayingPodcast.com. Therefore, what I'm saying, if I'm saying anything, is welcome back. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. You have to explain that statement, sir. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. Is it too much of a problem to ask? Because I'm, I'm... Okay, okay. I really need your help here. You can also show your love of Now Playing Podcast by shopping in our store, where you can buy t-shirts, totes, boxers, coffee mugs, teddy bears, and much more. Get yourself something nice for me. I already did. And? Oh, it's very nice. Yeah. Very tasteful. Now Playing's Avengers Retrospective Series is edited by Arnie. I've moved on to the next one, because that's what we do, right? I mean, that's the job. Now Playing Credit Narration by Brock. Wow. You spoke to me with what you did, and I know that you knew that I'd be listening. Now Playing is not affiliated with Marvel Enterprises or Marvel Studios, Paramount Pictures, Universal Pictures, or the Disney Company. The Avengers, Captain America, Iron Man, Thor, The Incredible Hulk, and all that the Marvel Universe contains are the property and trademark of the Disney Company, and no infringement is intended. You really think that just because you have an idea, it belongs to you? The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Inganza Media Incorporated. Just stick to the official statement and soon this will all be behind you. Now Playing is a Inganza Media production, copyright 2012, all rights reserved. Any last words? Hulk! Smash! <laughs> If we can't protect the Earth, you can be damn well sure we'll avenge it. Today we're discussing the Avengers, or Avengers Assemble, for our international listeners. For our Turkish listeners who made us watch all those horrible TV movies. <laughs> we give you nothing! And it felt strange that, like, I'd walk up and they wanted to give me, there was exclusive posters. And I'm like, no, please. I know that I'm here at midnight and I know that everyone else wants to, I'm like, I don't want a poster. I don't want to hold anything. I Dude, just- do you have any <laughs> idea how much I scoured Facebook for one of those <laughs> posters? You didn't get it for me? Seriously? Well, I cannot believe you didn't know I wanted that poster. <laughs> I did not want the responsibility of trying to get it out in mint condition. Not in that, not in that chaos. No way. I, I'm like, please. I got to do a ton of notes. I'd probably end up having to scrawl on it. You mentioned the Fantastic Four shirt. One brave soul showed up in a Green Lantern movie shirt. <laughs> Props to him. I did see this in IMAX 3D. Okay. We all saw the 3D version of this. Yes. Yeah. It's what they wanted to sell because I paid $21 for the experience.
Ouch. That's almost a full Alien Spielberg donation. (laughs) It's been rubbed in our faces many times on our Facebook page. I do want to thank you guys for not spoiling anything on there. I'm I'm sure that would have ended up in an instant ban if you would have. (laughs) I didn't mind this, but nobody better say shit about Prometheus. They're getting it early in England because the World Cup. I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to know nothing until I'm surprised you're not flying there to see it. It's I priced it out. I can't. I'm too poor. <laughs> More donations, maybe. Get me a flight and maybe I can do it. But no. If, if he's hurting with that twenty one dollar ticket, I don't know about a flight to England. <laughs> Have you seen the price of oil? But yes. Disney's also got some John Carter from Mars bills to pay. I hope they can <laughs> I hope they can pay it off. I don't know that even Avengers can save them on that fiasco. Oh, I'm sure they, they, they're taking care of that on the licensing and loan for this film. I'm sure that I've bought enough toys already to cover a little <laughs> of John Carter's debt. <laughs> that includes the Japanese exclusive Iron Man. Let's not go there. <laughs> if you want to hear me talk about that, there's Marvelicious Toys. I do want to hear you talk about that. <laughs> I know the scree, I know the, I know the. And speaking of and speaking of do-gooders, yeah, yes. beat you to it, beat you to I, it. I, I, I had who was initially going to be the star of this film, who the person who it was going to be Iron Man, mother. I have to say it again. I think water just started flowing in. Oh, right. <laughs> that, that wasn't a... I, I messed up my line, Curse. <laughs> but he did mess up his line, I'm just going to say. <laughs> I messed up my line because the dogs were barking, and I thought you could hear them, and I was going to start oh, no, it over. Oh. And no, finally, no, I'm we, like, we had images of your house floating. <laughs> no, no, I had to shut the door because the dogs were so loud. All right. Why can it cloak? That never came up in the plot anywhere. Oh, they were showing up Wonder Woman. Should she decide to make <laughs> uh, make any kind of big screen appearance? We got you too, bitch. <laughs> oh, it's the mewling whim, Black Widow. I think I bought that toy. I think it came with a bottle of lube. <laughs> oh. Oh, no. Is it <laughs> inflatable? <laughs> Anyone no. have an end to now the three hero? How did we go from vaginal fluids to Hulk? I, I think I got plenty of bloopers so far. Oh, uh, yeah, I agree. Um, and there's more to come. We, <laughs> we got, got four more hours. Yeah. <laughs> this will be the first night that, like, I'm like, guys, let's just stop here and pick up tomorrow. <laughs> You'll have to release it, like, in one hour increments. Okay, here's, here's the right, second hour. I got, I got an end. I got an end. Is that what it was? I thought they said they, they built it to defeat the destroyer. Is literally built from the destroyer? Yeah, it was a miniaturized destroyer gun. Okay. You're talking about the robot? Yeah. Yes. Oh. <laughs> yeah. That movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really not trying to remember that one. I'm recalling, oh, Death of Hulk, Hasselhoff, yeah, oh, Thor. Mm, okay. <laughs> you didn't did. recommend any of these other things you're recalling either. <laughs> Uh, Stuart, can I get your personal Twitter name? Since you said Sam Jackson doesn't do anything, he can flame you personally on Twitter instead of the whole show. <laughs> he didn't do anything in Star Star Wars either, all right? <laughs> but that's... I want to know what happened to Hulk's pants. He was fully clothed as Banner, and he was 
pan he had pants on as Hulk, and then he lands and he's naked. <laughs> I, I think he had to get pants. so angry to land that the pants popped off. I except he puts them on later. But finally, this podcast get- is already nine hours long. You want me to go back to Hulk, Vic? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was going to say. We finally get a homage to Ang Lee's desire to have the naked Hulk. I'm letting it go. I love this Hulk. I'm letting it go. Whatever. Pants, I've, I've dealt with it. <laughs> We're not at the nine-hour mark yet. Seven and a half. You exaggerate. Any thoughts, Arnie? I've been muted. I've been like, why is Stuart not letting me get in here? <laughs> what the f- I, I, I was like going to start talking, times. but I'm like, well, let's yeah. Argue. I was like, all right. Never <laughs> known you to be quiet about Avengers. <laughs> all right. Hey. All right. Good job, guys. Let's just not come in tomorrow. Let's just take a day off. <laughs> I think that we, all, the three of us, need to all go and have some shawarma. <laughs> I feel like we just battled a whole bunch of. Chitari, Atari, Kitari <laughs> beings, and I just want to kind of slump down and have shawarma. Can the Black Widow come? I'm sure I could make her. <laughs> that, wait, that, come on, now you're thinking Bond. <laughs>